Is that a yes? Okay, thank you. We're live, Mayor. We are back following a study session on two topics, a joint meeting with the Kirkland Senior Council and a discussion related to a potential parks ballot measure. I would like to record, I would like the record to reflect that Councilmember Black has joined our meeting. Okay, uh, this takes us to World Refugee Day proclamation. So Councilmember Nixon is going to help me with this and we're gonna be joined by some members of the community. Okay, we can, we can do that. So anyway, we're very excited tonight to have some special guests who are with us um, from other countries. This presentation for the first time is actually gonna be translated while it's being read into Dari. We also had it translated into Ukrainian and we'll allow folks to say a few words afterward and there's a lot of information about the proclamation on the website where you can find more information and some links. So after each whereas is read, it will then be translated. Are we going to do two interpretations in between? Yeah, this is going to be a joint interpretation. So Councilmember Nixon is going to read the uh, proclamation, and as he gets to each whereas cl clause, we will alternate, and you will read it in Farsi. Okay. All right. Proclaiming June 20th, 2023 as World Refugee Day in Kirkland. اعلان روز 20 جون 2023 Whereas in resolution 5240 the Kirkland City Council declared that the city aspires to be a safe, welcoming and inclusive city for all people, including those who have left their homelands as refugees. نظر به اینکه شورای شهر کرکلند در مصوبه آر 5240 اعلان کرد که این شهر باید یک مکان مسئول، خوشایند و همه شمول برای تمام مردم به شمول مردم دور از وطن و پناهندگان باشد. And whereas Kirkland believes that all who immigrate to the United States deserve liberty and to pursue happiness and recognizes volunteer organizations such as Kirkland Interfaith Network and congregations such as Holy Spirit Lutheran Church, Holy Family Catholic Church, St. John Mary Vianney Catholic Church, and Kol Ami, a center for Jewish life, who assist people who have endured the unimaginable to pursue a better life here. و نظر به اینکه کرکلند مستفید شدن همه مهاجرین ساکن ایالات متحده از آزادی و خوشبختی را حق این مردم میداند و سازمان های داوطلب محور مانند شبکه میان مذهبی کرکلند و کلیسای لوترن روح القدس کلیسای کاتولیک فامیل مقدس کلیسای کاتولیک سنت جان مریویانی و کل انی مرکز زندگی یهودیان را که به مردم ستم دیده برای رسیدن به زندگی بهتر کمک می کنند به رسمیت می شناسند And whereas immigrants sometimes arrive in our community with so little 
and volunteers help these most vulnerable refugees with emergency food bags, hygiene products, bus tickets, and grocery or clothing gift cards. و نظر به اینکه مهاجرین گاهی در شرایط نامساعد وارد جامعه ما میشوند و داوطلبان خریدای غذای اضطراری، محصولات حفظ الصحه، تکت ملی بس و خوراکه یا کارت هدیه خرید البسه در اختیار این مهاجرین آسیب پذیر قرار میدهند. And whereas these and other community volunteers work to equip refugees and immigrants with the skills, resources and support they need to live fulfilling lives, help them learn English, find a place to live and work, and gain citizenship, and help them in rising above their challenges, build upon the strength and courage that got them here, and support their hopes to become vital contributors to our communities. نظر به اینکه این داوطلبان و دیگر داوطلبان اجتماعی برای مستفید ساختن پناهندگان و مهاجرین از مهارتها، منابع و حمایتهای لازم برای رسیدن به زندگی مطلوب تعلیم لسان انگلیسی، پیدا نمودن محلی برای زندگی و کار و رسیدن به مزایای شهروندی و کمکرسانی در قسمت غلبه بر مشکلات، تقویت ها و روحیه و پرورش امید و ایجاد زمینی مشارکت آنان در جامعه سعی می‌کنند. And whereas in addition to local volunteer professionals in the greater Seattle area who provide much needed services to asylum seekers and resources National recognized agencies such as Refugees Northwest, a program of Lutheran Community Services Northwest, and other nonprofits assist with immigration challenges. نظر به اینکه ضمن کارشناسان داوطلب محلی فعال در سیاتل و اطراف در قسمت ارائه خدمات ضروری به پناهجویان، بعضی مراکز کمکرسانی و نهادهای ملی مانند Refugees Northwest از پروگرام‌های Lutheran Community Services Northwest و دیگر سازمان های غیر انتفاعی نیز برای رفع مشکلات مهاجرین سعی می کنند. And whereas asylum seekers face numerous challenges, including not being able to work for an average of 18 months after arriving in the United States, and not being eligible for any federal benefits, and so are vulnerable to food insecurity and homelessness. نظر به اینکه پناهجویان با مشکلات متعددی به شمول و نمحدود بودن به نبود امکان کار تا حدود 18 ماه بعد از ورود به ایالات متحده و نداشتن صلاحیت مستفی شدن از مزایای فدرال روبرو هستند و به همین دلیل در معرض ناامنی قضایی و بیخانمانی قرار دارند. And whereas the city of Kirkland with the help and sponsorship of its faith communities has welcomed and assisted refugees and asylum seekers from Laos and Vietnam in the 1970s through today's refugees from Syria, Afghanistan, and Ukraine. And whereas World Refugee Day was first proclaimed by the United Nations and celebrated on June 20th, 2001, to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the 1951 Convention relating to the status of refugees, and to shine a light on the rights, needs, and dreams of refugees, helping to mobilize political will and resources so refugees can not only survive, but also thrive.
نظر به اینکه سازمان ملل نخستین بار روز 20 جون 2001 را برای, نخ... برای بزرگداشت پنجاهمین سال روز کنوانسیون وضعیت پناهندگان 1951 و معرفی حقوق، ضروریات و خواسته های پناهندگان و زمین سازی برای استفاده از ارادی سیاسی و منابع مختلف برای حفظ بقا و ایجاد امکان پیشرفت پناهندگان روز جهانی پناهندگان نامید Now therefore Mayor Penny Sweet on behalf of the city council and with gratitude for all Kirkland community members who have done this good work does hereby proclaim June 20th 2023 as World Refugee Day in Kirkland Washington and calls upon all community members to watch for and participate in opportunities to help these most vulnerable individuals and families Hello bidin wasila sharwar پنی سویت از طرف شورای شهر و با قدردانی از شهروندان کرکلند که انجام دهندی این کار شایسته بودند روز 20 جون 2023 را به عنوان روز جهانی پناهندگان در کرکلند واشنگتن اعلام می کند و همه اعضای جامعه را دعوت به کسب معلومات مرتبط و اشتراک در پروگرام های کمک به این اشخاص و فامیل های آسیب پذیر می کند. تشکر از همه تیم امی جایی که ما بود باش بردیم پنج ماه پیش ما در کرکلند زندگی میکردیم تشکری خاص از تیم شاروالی از کرکلند و خاص تیم امو پنج ناماره Thank you so much for everyone. We've been staying for the past five months with the help of the community. We would like to thank especially the, uh, the Kirkland City and the St. Uh, Jane, Jane uh, uh, Vianney uh, group. Uh, well. I'm speaking dairy. و یک تشکری خاص از کالری، ملیسا و آیلین که بر ما بسیار حمایت زیاد کرده و تا امروزه تفلکای مسیغلو بود یعنی اگر تفلکای مجدما شده خاص از آیلین، کالری، ملیسا و همه تیم شاروالی کرکلند give a special thanks to Ailey, Caroline and Melissa my kids are turned 18 months now I, I feel like they have been a second mom to them تشکر از همه تیمتان و تشکر از حمایتتان یک جهان تشکر We'd like to thank the entire team and all the support you've given to uh, refugee communities. My name is Lika. Thank you for helping us. Thank you 
Okay. Um, we're going to change the agenda up just a little bit. And before we do, um, before we do items from the audience, we're going to do our special presentation, the Spring 2023 Employee Service Award Recognition. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. So we're going to move this a little bit out of order, as you said. Uh, this is to recognize those employees who have worked with us for 20 years, 25, 30, or 35 years of service. Uh, Chuck Deva, our HR Director, is going to be reading out their names. They're going to be coming, those who are able to attend, are receiving their award, and then we're getting a photo with the Mayor. Chuck. Thank you very much, City Manager, Mayor, and Council Members. Good evening, everyone. Um, I have the pleasure of recognizing some of our employees tonight who have reached milestones. As uh, City Manager Triplett mentioned, the employees reaching benchmarks of 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, and 35 years with the City of Kirkland will be recognized tonight. They will be receiving uh, an acrylic plaque, and some of them will be receiving some uh, certificates as well. The plaques are etched with the employee's name, department, city logo, and service years. And so as I read off your name, if you could please come on up here. Um, I will ask the council members to please stand up and just um, go ahead and situate, situate yourself in front of the logo there. And um, then afterwards, we'll take some pictures. We have our photographer here today. And we've got six, pres uh, six awards to give out. And I'll also read off names of um, the individuals who couldn't be here tonight who also um, received are worthy of recognition for their milestones. So first off, for 20 years of service, I'd like to invite Lieutenant Lepaki Zoplin up here. He is a police lieutenant with our police department. Congratulations. And next, also for 20 years, I'd like to invite Rod Steitzer to the front. He's our Capital Projects Manager with our Public Works Department. Thank you so much, Rod, for your service. And also for 20 years, although they're not here to receive an award today, I have Eric Peterson from the fire department, who's a firefighter, Jason Pierce from the fire department, a fire inspector, Mark Brown from the police department, who's a training SRO, NRO officer, Ronald Florence from our police department, corrections corporal, and Ryan Brown, a lead person with our parks and community services department. Now, moving on to 25 years of service, I would like to invite uh, Deputy Police Chief Mike St. Jean up to the front with our police department.
Next, I'd like to invite Prinz Cohen, our Planning Administrative Supervisor from our Planning and Building Department. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your service, friends. Now for, for um, the rest of the names for 25 years of service, I have Raymond Bressler, Police Department, who's a patrol sergeant, Jennifer Gauss, Public Works Department, Surface Water Strategic Advisor, Terry Corp, Public Works Department, Engineering Technician, Wayne Jarvie, Public Works Department, Senior Maintenance, and Jeffrey Rodder from the Parks and Community Services Department. He's the Parks Maintenance Supervisor. All right, moving on to 30 years of service. This is quite a feat, and I'd like to introduce you and recognize Audrey Martin from the Fire Department, our Administrative Supervisor. Thank you. Also completing 30 years of service and not here to accept the award is Tom, Tom Kreese from the Public Works Department. He's the Water and Wastewater Supervisor and Hobart Haney from the Fire Department, Fire Captain. And last but not least, we have 35 years of service a big congratulations to Janice Swenson from our Planning and Building Department, Senior Planner. Congratulations. Congratulations again to all of our award recipients. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you to the mayor and thank you to the council members. Have a good night. Microphone is on, Madam Mayor. This is the time in our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters which are not quasi-judicial or scheduled for a public hearing. We do have two quasi-judicial matters this evening. They are items 9B, Kirkland Middle School Master Plan Amendment, and 9C, Thin Hill Middle School Master Plan Approval. While these matters are quasi-judicial, the Council's decisions will be based on the record developed before the hearing examiner. No new evidence or formal testimony will be received tonight. However, if you wish to comment generally on the master plan amendments, you may do so during items from the audience. On all issues, please limit your remarks to three minutes and the council will receive up to three comments each on both sides of each issue. 
If you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the council during this items from the audience period, please sign up using the online um, public comment instruction link or in person using the posted QR code. For those participating by phone, please dial star nine to be recognized to speak. Community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting and we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please not clap or applaud after a speaker or express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints regardless of content because they can be disruptive, signs and placards are not allowed in the council chambers during our meetings regardless of their content. City Clerk. Good evening, Mayor. You have 11 people signed up to speak. The first speaker is Kenny Drabble, and the next two will be Kim Allen and Meredith Pabst, who are virtual. Welcome. Here to introduce Luke Hammond to the council and the community as the 2023 recipient of the Matthew Dahl Memorial Sh Scholarship Award. Uh, Luke, can you stand briefly? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Luke graduated from Juanita High School on June 15th. Uh, he will be attending the University of Arts in London in the fall. Uh, Luke is to be commended for his extensive service to Kirkland on the Youth Council in six years from 2017 to the present. Um, now I'd just like to read a few words from his essay about his KYC experience. Uh, Luke said, like my art and design, KYC has given me an outlet to focus on something bigger than myself. Uh, it allows me to think about the different levels of community I'm in and how they can be improved. Before KYC, I was a lot shyer and more insecure. Through taking small steps in KYC, my confidence has grown immensely in public speaking, decision-making, communication, and leadership. Through experiencing and pushing myself to do challenging things, I have grown so much. I am so grateful to take the skills I've learned over the last six years and move on to the next chapter in my life. Uh, Luke is the fifth recipient of this yearly scholarship. Uh, the previous recipients are as follows. Uh, Annie Main received the first award in 2019, followed by Cheryl Lee in 2020, uh, Nellie Mex Canul in 2021, and Josh Slate in 2022. We just wanna say congratulations again to all of them. Uh, Kirkland Youth Council continues to provide an important formative opportunity for local youth. Um, we wanna recognize Reggie Shugaber for the wonderful work that she continues to provide as program coordinator, coordinator uh, for Kirkland, Kirkland Youth Council. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to make this scholarship award announcement. Kenny, can I ask you to come up at, with Luke? And I believe there's a couple other folks in your party. We'd like to get a picture. Okay, yeah, Linda. And David? Yeah, come on in. 
right here. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> well done. The next speaker is Kim Allen, followed by Meredy Pabst, both are virtual, then Sabine Jock. Good evening, Mayor Sweden City Council. Can you hear me? Yes, Kim, good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, I'm here tonight on behalf of Verizon Wireless. I sent a, a letter to you and the council earlier today. Um, at Verizon, our goal is to provide the seamless, reliable and robust wireless service Kirkland residents, first responders, businesses and visitors have come to expect. As we learned during the pandemic, wireless service is indispensable to daily life and is a need, not a want, for Kirkland's neighborhoods. Uh, but it's important now to bring your attention to the fact that the technology for 5G has been sharply uh, evolving in the last five years. In 2018, we came before you and we talked about deploying small wireless facilities in the right of way um, that would be on utility poles that would be closely spaced because millimeter wave uh, technology wouldn't travel very far. Um, since that time, all of the wireless carriers have uh, either repurposed or acquired uh, low and mid-band spectrum, which is what they deliver 4G with today. And so what we've learned is that we're going to need a, a form factor for this technology, which is that's higher in kind of the tower um, form factor as opposed to the right-of-way. We will still need small cells, but what we found is that they're most effective in dense uh, densely populated areas, not uh, the wide suburban residential. So uh, this particular code update does not address 20 year old plus policies that apply to macro facilities. Um, and having learned that we're going to need those as well, uh, we asked uh, and we have been working with staff to try to update that, but we understand it's the city's position that, that this is beyond the scope of this code update per the council. And so, I'm here tonight to ask that in, in, in light of the fact that there's a six month delay in the effective date, that, that the council clarified that, that, that the staff should be addressing uh, the issues that we've raised around macro, macro facilities so that we can deliver the service that, that you and your community want, need, and, and, and frankly demand. So um, we'd ask you to send this back one more time. We'd like to get it right the first time. And, uh, and, and complete the code update for the wireless, um, for the wireless facilities um, in its entirety. So thank you very much for your time and attention this evening. Thank you. The next speaker is Meredy Pabst, also virtual, followed by Alex Zimmerman and Rex Rempel on site. Welcome, Ms. Pabst. Um, good evening, uh, Mayor Sweet and council members. My name is Meredy Pabst from Bush Law Firm, and I'm speaking on behalf of AT&T, also regarding the proposed wireless code changes. Uh, and we also sent a comment letter uh, last Thursday, and I hope you had time to review it, 
I'm just going to hit a couple of points from our letter um, for your um, consideration tonight um, later on in the agenda. AT&T is responding to increasingly significant demand for wireless service, especially in and near residential areas. And in our view, Kirkland's code has not changed over the years to allow flexibility in siting macro facilities in a way um, that can meet this surging demand. And we've, we believe that in at least two respects, the, the city's code remains very restrictive and challenging for providers. The first instance is in uh, design for building mounted or rooftop facilities. Kirkland's code requires that antennas be mounted on existing structures, either the facade of a building or on rooftop structures that are already there. So not only must a carrier find a building in the right location, that building must have surfaces that are oriented in the right way um, for mounting an antennas, either on the facade or on the rooftop. In contrast, um, most communities allow antennas to be mounted on a rooftop in a location that will work for the carrier so long as visual impacts are mitigated. Uh, for example, this could be through screening or other uh, design features. Second, um, we have continuing concerns about the limited heights allowed in Kirkland, only 40 feet in residential zones and up to 45 feet in uh, uh, industrial zones. These are very low when compared to other communities. Often we'll see on the low end in residential zones, something like 60 or 65 feet and substantially higher in industrial and commercial zones. The, these, these two uh, limits together are going to be very challenging, both the height for towers and the limited options on building mounts. And really the only relief valve in the code right now is for a carrier to argue what's called the effective prohibition of wireless service under federal law. Um, if the carrier can prove that the low tower height, for example, um, prevents it from serving the community, it can get an approval from staff at the height it shows it needs. Um, this could lead to a hodgepodge of different uh, tower heights throughout the community. AT&T suggests- have, I'm sorry, we did get your letter, but you have gone over time. It's, okay, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Next speaker is Sabine Jacques, followed by Alex Zimmerman and Rex Rempel. Welcome. Good evening, uh, Mayor Sweet, uh, Deputy Mayor Arnold, and Council Members. Um, my name is Sabina Jacques. I live in Houghton on 111th. And uh, the reason I'm here today because I would like to support the park measure that in includes the aquatic center uh, and recreational center. I've lived in Kirkland for over 20 years, and my husband and I have three children. Um, and I, we love living in Kirkland. It's beautiful. We got a lot of beaches, um, parks, and I think it's a great, it's a very healthy area to live here. And especially now with the Kirkland Corridor, I think 
all of Kirkland actually is a beautiful place to live and we love it here. Um, one thing is uh, we do have great beaches, but it's, it's very busy in the summer and then in the winter, a lot of kids don't know what to do, don't know where to go. And unless you join a health club, a private health club, um, I think it would be really wonderful if we actually had an aquatic center, recreational center for our families here. Um, and my children um, are almost done with school now, with public school, but I remember when they were in elementary school, the best time was always that one last week where they actually all walked to the Kirkland outdoor pool and they had the swimming lessons and it was one of the highlights for them. And I think it would be wonderful if we actually did have something where we could do it all year round. Um, also for our teens, they don't have many places to go, not many places to gather. And then even talking about seniors, I think it's a healthy lifestyle to be able to swim, to be active and we can do it all year round by having an indoor pool and not just an outdoor pool. So um, I would like to support the park measure and also hoping that we can put it on a ballot now and not wait till 2024. Um, when it first was proposed in 2015, I was really excited, but now my kids are done with school, but I wanna help other young families to be able to use the pool. Um, Thank you for supporting the Aquatic Center. And yeah. Thank you for your comments. The next speaker is Alex Zimmerman, followed by Rex Rempel, and then Nicole McKenzie, who is virtual. Zeke Heil. My president absolutely right. You are fascist or communist. I'm a little bit stupid, so I call you Nazi or communist. It's exactly who you are. And talking about school, I go to council, to school uh, board meeting for the last 10 years, a couple dozen times, maybe almost every time. What has happened right now is make me absolutely sick. Democratic mafia, this bandita with Nazi Gestapo principle totally control us children. So in my eyes, for 30 years, two generations, you brainwash totally, totally. How you can explain so for 30 years we have only Democrat governor? How is this possible? <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> Guys, situation is so idiotic right now. Each time what as I come to meeting, what as I see democratic mafia controlling everything, totally. And children is number one in quality of qualification and teaching children go down by 30 percentage officially. And 50 percentage children have a stress, depressed. Why? Because teacher is a crook and lion controlled by Democrat mafia. Children come home and home is life different. So children have a brain problem. You know what this means? I have brain problem too, but I'm too old. You know what this means? Guys, are you a bandita, democratic bandita, you all identical is this, what is I call you Nazi pig? You understand what this means? It's number one, what is I'm talking. I give you a classic example right now. What is for 30 plus years, 35, what is I live here, I never see before. So, well, we have a consul, black consul. So here right now, out. First black consul in Bellevue history. 
for my understanding. They take him out and one replace him with Iranian Muslim. Where is happened like this? Huh? Can somebody explain to me? Are you all freaking idiota? You don't understand what is going on? How is this possible? First black men, and probably in all his side history, you know what this mean? Consul, is they take him out, he replace him with want replace him with Iranian Muslim. It's a nightmare. Guys, I don't understand you. I speak right now to everybody who listen to me. Stand up. Stop acting like an idiot. We come here. Look, people come here. They, what are they talking about? Poop. Bassein. This alive? Poop in Bassein? This is exactly what is talking. You scared people. We look right now like a German Nazi in Tory. Ever told you before, 85 percentage demo vote for Democrat here, same percentage work for Adolf Hitler in 1939. What has happened with Nazi? Come to collapse. Mr. What has happened with Democrat? Mr. Come to collapse. Your time I'm is finished. Up. Thank you. I'm finished. Your next speaker is Rex Rempel, followed by Nicole McKenzie and Ken Lyons. Before Mr. Rempel speaks, I would just like to say on behalf of the council, um, I apologize that you had to listen to what you just had to listen for too. Rex, I'm sorry, please speak up. Good evening, everyone. I want to recognize that so many comments um, put towards our government officials and government employees are negative in nature, often we use our soapboxes to complain or even throw vitriol at those who are doing service. And so I wanna offer a counterpoint, if I might. Um, our community has a great number of lovely parks. We have wonderful schools and fabulous healthcare. We have clean water, we have access to the arts, we have a vibrant economy, we have successful businesses, we have restaurants, shops, plenty of grocery stores, we have an excellent street system. We have some public transit, we have good biking. Um, we, have, we enjoy good community safety with a relatively low crime rate. Now, our community is not perfect and I will continue to step forward on various avenues to advocate for what I see as good ideas. Um, but I do wanna recognize that we are privileged to live where we do and how we do. Um, and I want to specifically call out that we have responsive and open government here. And I appreciate that. Um, we all have the opportunities not only to observe, but to attend and to participate. We get to share our comments with our elected officials and with city staff. We have opportunities to write, to meet, to sit on boards, to join committees and commissions, and even to comment at public and even governmental bodies like this, to the point that you actually grant us more than an hour of airtime a year per person if we elect to take three minutes twice a month. Um, so for that, I just wanna say thank you to those present, those in our government bodies, those who are our employees, and to the community members of our city who have done so much to make our community what it is. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rempel. The next speaker is Nicole McKenzie, and she's virtual, followed by Ken Lyons and Bob Sternoff. Welcome, Ms. McKenzie. 
Thank you, Madam Mayor. Good evening, council members. Um, I'm speaking to you this evening regarding the uh, proposed parks ballot. And I did listen to your study session earlier this evening. Uh, and I, I know that I had sent each of you or all of you collectively an email a couple of weeks ago. And I'd like to re reiterate some of those points uh, publicly here. Um, I want to specifically reiterate that I think that the proposed measure is trying to do too much at too great an expense. Um, and, and to reiterate that uh, although uh, PFEC submitted a report that included uh, most of the um, amenities and, and um, uh, elements that are included in the current proposal from staff, uh, that this is something that was essentially foisted upon PFEC. Uh, they were not given the opportunity to uh, choose open-endedly what they wanted to present. They were told choose a, a, an aquatics facility and uh, rank these other program choices in order of priority and were not given an opportunity not to rank any of them or to choose just their top two, three, or four. So everybody had to rank all of the elements and then uh, staff put forward that a, a facility plus five additional elements were recommended by the committee. Um, Kirkland does not need, nor does it want everything that's included in the proposal that's been submitted to council. Uh, if you look at the survey that was done the statistically valid survey that was done looking at the issue priorities in terms of what was ranked as high to very high priority. Uh, you have improving housing affordability and reducing traffic congestion. A new indoor public swimming pool and rec center or adding more parks and recreation programs rated uh, as a high priority by 46% and 44% of the respondents respectively. Looking at the actual components, um, most of them on a scale of one to seven with one being the lowest and seven being the highest, most of them ranked less than a four, which means that you don't have anybody ranking any of these elements as a high priority. The highest priority that was ranked was year-round restrooms at selected parks at a, an average of a 4.9. That's your highest. Ms. McKenzie, Look, I'm afraid your time is up. Um, we, did, we did get your communication. Um, feel free to send us any additional information. Um, thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Ken Lyons, followed by Bob Sternoff, Matt McCauley, and Ken McKenzie. Welcome. Good evening, uh, Mayor Sweet and uh, council members. Thanks very much for this opportunity to speak. Uh, my name is Ken Lyons. I'm here on behalf of AT&T. Um, I just had a couple of uh, comments regarding the item that's on your agenda, the wireless code amendments. And uh, I won't repeat uh, certainly what uh, Kim Allen or Meredith Paps had said in their comments, but did, did just want to make a, 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 the request that the uh, public hearing be reopened. Um, if you listen to the Planning Commission meeting, they really didn't uh, have an opportunity to do much probative analysis of the comments that came in. They said that 
they, they felt like they weren't technically able to provide that sort of analysis and they really presented it to be forwarded to council for that to occur. Um, there are some significant issues I think that were raised, uh, certainly in the comment letters you've received. And uh, for that reason, I think it's important that there's an opportunity to actually really probatively look at these issues that have come out to make sure that, uh, that uh, they're addressed because they're significant. They do impact the quality of the service that the residents in your community uh, do receive. You know, basically, we were a landline society for 100 years. We went wireless in the last 15. Uh, three quarters of your residents do not have a home phone. That's very different than it was 25 years ago when your uh, last code, the, the bones of the, of the code that you have today was adopted. And that is very significant from a public policy standpoint because people are depending on, these, on, on this, uh, on this uh, technology to be able to communicate. Uh, whereas, you know, 25 years ago, the only reason why somebody had a, a cell phone was, quote, for emergency purposes, and it's now reversed to roll in, in, in the way that it is now. So, um, and then, you know, also, you know, uh, it's very important also that lower-income households, households that are renters or ha households that have children have significantly higher wireless adoption. There's reports that come out from the uh, National Institute of Health as well as the CDC that talks about this. So it's very important to recognize that the role of wireless has changed significantly uh, in Kirkland over the last 25 years, and it's important that the code be amended in such a way to keep up. Now, keep in mind, there have been six FCC orders in the last 10 years, and I understand that there's the drive, the need to make those uh, changes to make sure the code keeps pace with federal law. But there are some significant public policy implications in terms of the way that Kirkland's, Kirkland's buildings don't look like the way they did 25 years ago. Uh, certainly the way that, uh, you know, Kirkland relied on us placing facilities on uh, PSE utility poles, and that was, an, you know, assuming that those, uh, those structures are going to be available to us in the future in the way that they have in the past is not a good assumption. Um, and then, of course, uh, changing needs in technology. It's important that uh, residents are, are able to take advantage of these uh, speeds as, and the like. So, you know, with that, I just just uh, to point out uh, on the on the 5G uh, policy, I understand that the uh, that uh, the that the city is not allowing 5G upgrades to its existing to facilities that are on city-owned property. And I, I, think that's a, I think that's something that it would be helpful to hear the council weigh in whether or not it really supports that because what will that will mean is that eventually carriers are going to need to build new towers when there's a perfectly good water tank or something there to, to be able to provide those services. Mr. Lyon, I'm sorry. Yeah. Your time is up. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I'm tall. I can't quite see the light. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a note of that. Your next speaker is Bob Sternoff, followed by Matt McCauley and Ken McKenzie. Uh, and you have a problem with that? Go, fine. Welcome, Mr. McCauley. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matt McCauley. Uh, some of you I've had the pleasure of knowing for quite a few years. Some of you I've not had the pleasure of meeting in real life yet. I'm a lifelong Kirklander, third of five generations of Macaulay's to call Kirkland home. Um, I started studying history, Kirkland history, in the mid-70s as a kid. Uh, as a law student in the 1990s, I started writing a weekly column for the old Kirkland Courier newspaper. Since that time, I've done a couple of books about the history of Kirkland, and I do a lot of stuff on the internet. So Kirkland history is something I've studied for a long time. Um, I'm in tonight to give you some feedback and register my opposition to propose changes to make Park Lane a pedestrian-only street. But I have to tell you, an earlier speaker really kind of rattled me, so I'm going to go off script. I have studied the history of Kirkland for a long time. I have known some of the council members going back to 
Al Leland, elected mayor, uh, Al, um, Al Locke, the first city manager, uh, Dick Shinstrom, the late Bill Woods, all these people that were a part of this city government, even if I disagree with some of you people for some reason on issues like this, you come in, you spend a ton of your free time, you're away from your families, you don't make almost any money for doing this, you do it because you care about the community. And to have somebody come in and call you Nazis, I have two Jewish sons. So I just want to tell you that even from a regular person, to, even if I disagree with you, even if you don't see the way I want you to see on the Park Lane issue, man, to hear something like that, I appreciate what you do. I really do. And it makes me angry to hear somebody come in and, and say something like that. So, so thank you. Um, but at any rate, to go back onto my script, um, I think that probably it's a really bad idea based on the impact it would have on the merchants. Uh, there was some talk of that originally when they shifted from Commercial Avenue to Park Lane back in the mid-1970s. Um, I happen to have written an article about it back in 2019 that is apparently being circulated around. Some folks are making the claim that I said that the original vision was that it be a pedestrian-only street. Just to correct the record, that's that was suggested. They shot it down. They decided to do trees, to change the parking, to try to make it a little bit more hospitable to people walking. But they shot the idea down back then, and I hope you do it now based on the impact it will have on the merchants there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. McCauley. Now, Mr. Sternoff. Welcome, Mr. Sternoff. Madam Mayor, Deputy Mayor, City Manager. Um, yeah, it's, it was almost, I was going to say it was deja vu, or people were ask, asking me, was it deja vu? And not until Mr. Zimmerman showed up. So, <laughs> yeah, he was, he, it wasn't so much a regular here, but just about every other regional meeting I was in. Uh, I'm Bob Sternoff. I've been a Kirkland resident uh, officially since uh, June of uh, 1983 but uh, grew up in Bridal Trails, Kirkland phone number. Um, I don't know much else about this community, didn't spend any time doing anything here. So uh, I'm just speaking as, as a citizen tonight. Um, three things, uh, I wanna talk about the Park Lane, wanna talk about the Park Bond, and I wanna take, talk about the Lake Washington Boulevard proposal to do away with parking. Uh, I think Matt covered Park Lane actually pretty well, but as a former uh, parking czar in this city. Um, I was handed this token, and maybe the mayor remembers this, was handed to me by a guy about, oh, almost 60 years ago that mounted my ski bindings in Bellevue and uh, would, would uh, eventually end up mayor of Kirkland and, and a state legislature, uh, legislator. And this is a parking token. And I, when I chaired the parking committee here in the city for a couple years, um, it was very clear that uh, we weren't going to be able to make any more parking without making more parking. And certainly there was no discussion about losing parking. You lose parking anywhere here, and you're going to lose, especially on Park Lane. It makes it very difficult. As a member, uh, actually, actually, yeah, as a member of the Lake and Central Committee, uh, the ill-fated Lake and Central Committee, that was a major bone of contention for neighbors in the area. Where are people going to park? They're going to park in the neighborhood. So I would hope that you would, you would take that up. There's been a lot of comments made about that. Moving on to the park bond. Um, an aquatic center is needed 
but the way that this bond is set up and having been involved in both as a park, uh, park uh, uh, chair for a number of years and a couple park bonds, I can tell you it's too big. It's too big. It's too big for a couple reasons. One, it hit me today, Puget um, to Sound Business Journal, uh, we're not the number one wealth folks here in, in uh, Washington. Who is? Sammamish. What is Kirkland? Number 13. My point is, the people here are struggling. There, there are older people, we know about that. It's hard. Every time prices go up, taxes go up, we vote for whatever we vote for. But there is an impact on our community, and I know we want to be inclusive and all that. Well, part of that is keeping people here that, that probably wouldn't be able to afford to uh, stay. Every latte that they, don't, that they, that they put towards a, a bond is another latte they can't put towards something else like living. There's layoffs that are still happening in this community, in the tech sector. We don't know where we're going, and I, and I hope that you will, uh, I know I'm out of town, but, I, but, but, but I, I hope, as I said, that you will look at uh, what's going on here. Thank you, Mr. Chernoff. That's the fastest three minutes I've ever had. <laughs> the last speaker who's signed up is Ken McKenzie. Welcome, Mr. McKenzie. Thank you. Uh, how does the slide deck work? I only have 35. I, you know. Hello. Uh, so I'm here to talk about Park Lane. And my plea is, please don't change Park Lane into a pedestrian-only area. I dug around and I found this really interesting report that I think everybody should read. Its title is The Experiment of American Pedestrian Malls, and written by a woman named Cole Judge. Who, was, uh, who did this on behalf of or works for, I couldn't figure it out, the International Downtown Association Center for Urban Research. And the, she was hired to look into this situation for Fresno, who had a deteriorating business district and was looking at how to improve it. And she found that 89% of pedestrian malls fail. And that's going back like 50, 60 years. So 11% succeed and 80% of the 11% that succeed are in areas of population uh, under 100,000. So we barely check that one. I'll get into the next bullet on the next slide. The bottom, the bottom bullet is interesting. So cities that have embraced the main street and complete street models of urban planning have succeeded in revitalizing their downtown. So how does Kirkland compare to the, the key findings of this report. So our 
our idea of Park Lane is it's pretty short. That fit that fits with their requirements. Population under 100,000, we're good. What are the three characteristics of successful pedestrian malls located in a major tourist location? Kirkland is not in a major tourist location. There's a nearby anchor, such as a university. We don't have one. Close proximity to a beach. They're talking about big beaches, like Santa Monica, Miami Beach. We don't have that. So we, we just don't have it. So therefore, according to this study, a Park Lane pedestrian mall is doomed to fail. Kirkland does not have enough customers conveniently located within walking distance. All those others that succeed have huge populations that flood into the, to the walking mall. So yeah, we'll have a few glorious summers when people will show up. But year in and year out, every month, they're just not there. And so that means we'll have fewer customers for merchants, even restaurants. Research tells us that just a few apartment buildings, and we actually just have a few right around that area, won't provide that flood of people that we need. And then I got to thinking, so what problem are we trying to solve? Let's go solve the business problem in Park Lane. It looks like the pedestrian-only Park Lane is a solution that's looking for a problem. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. McKenzie. No one else has signed up? Okay, there is no one else signed up. Is there anyone in the audience who would like to address the council at this time? Seeing none, I will declare this items from the audience period closed. Uh, this takes us to our consent calendar. Before we have a motion, I'd like to ask Deputy Mayor Arnold to present an audit of the accounts. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We had payroll in the amount of $4,152,256.49 and bills in the amount of $6,309,644.70. Thank you. Can I get a motion to approve the consent calendar? So moved. Second. Moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Black. Any discussion? Um, there's an ordinance on the... Thank you. Oh. Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Motion carries. Takes us to our business agenda. The first item of our on our business agenda is the 2023-2024 mid-year budget adjustment city manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. We are looking for action tonight. I heard to give you the presentation as our financial planning manager, George Dugdale, who's going to be joining us virtually. Welcome, George. Thank you, City Manager. I'm just putting up my slideshow here. Okay. okay. So we're here to talk about the mid-year 2023 budget adjustments. Um, we have 14 slides for you this evening, and we'll touch on six of the different areas of the budget adjustments, one slide for each of those. Okay, before we jump into the um, adjustments themselves, I have a, uh, just a reminder of where we are in the budget processes itself. The um, 
budget adjustment schedule, we adopted the budget in December. We have the carryover adjustments in um, through March. George, we're, now doing the we're having a little bit of difficulty hearing you. My apologies. Let me speak up. And can you see me also? No, we can't. Okay. Here we go. Video. There we go. Is that better? Can you hear me now, Mayor? Everybody hear me okay? Okay. Okay, great. Apologies for that. So we have um, the mid-year adjustments that we're, we're dealing with right now. Following this, we have the mid-biennial adjustments in December, and then two opportunities to adjust the budget in 2024. So as an overview, um, appropriation adjustments are what require council action. And those are required when um, the two bolded items here are what we have. So when unexpected revenue or unanticipated revenue needs to be expended, um, when there's new funds, which we do not have, and when the council authorizes new positions, projects, or programs. The total appropriation changes in this budget set are 10.4 million, primarily increases due to capital project transfers, new grants, um, as well as some internal transfers related to capital projects, resources forward, and some operating items as well. So we have, like I said, we have six elements in this adjustment. There are the council directed, um, other adjustments requiring action, some line items, um, capital project closeouts, resources forward, and finally we have some position conversions and additions. So this first table deals with the council directed adjustments. So these are uh, adjustments that have either been asked for by council, have been mentioned in an informal action, or have been um, or have been previously approved by a fiscal note. So you can see there they're primarily capital adjustments. There are the largest one is the addition of REIT two reserve to the Hundredth Avenue Northeast projects. Um, in addition to the capital elements, there are the ARPA Sustainability Master Plan initiatives. These were discussed during budget adoption, but this adjustment moves the funding from where it's held with ARPA in the general fund into the Development Services Fund. Other adjustments requiring council action. So these are other adjustments that adjust the appropriation of each fund. So we have, um, this is the longest list in there. We have this divided into two slides. On the operating side, there's um, levies, uh, rather funding from the EMS levy for the MIH program, as well as some additional grants. And again, another ARPA um, transfer into the street fund for the leaf blower initiative. On the utilities and capital sides, we have some grant funding, um, a particularly large $500,000 um, grant into the capital project fund 320 for the Lake and Kirkland project, as well as some moving of, um, of grant of funds around between capital funds. You can, we also have, you can see on the previous slide, um, position position adjustments, as well as some capital project closeouts. Both of those have their own slide. I will get to now. So the citywide position summary, these, we have um, four position ads in this adjustment set, as well as one position conversion. All of these new FTE positions, and there's a total of five of them, are in the planning and building de uh, department. There are um, some assistant, four new overhire assistant planner positions, and the conversion of one LT, current LTE planner to an ongoing plan. All of these positions are funded with development services reserves, the budgeted balance for development services reserves for staffing is 3.7 million at the end of 2024. 
Um, these positions are necessary for a, for a number of reasons. One is the high workload that continues to be experienced in development services. So the, um, there is a, there's a large need for particularly the assistant planner work. The second is that the planning department continues to see um, significant turnover. And the aim of having a wider pool of assistant planners is that there'll be more people who are able to step into the senior positions within the department. Some of the vacancies they currently have in the assistant planner position are because of existing promotions that have happened. And within the planning department, it's particularly important to have people who understand the city's code and the city's um, practices to be able to uh, move into those senior positions. Moving on to the capital project closeouts and corrections. Um, at the end of every budget cycle, at the start of each um, odd numbered year, we do an analysis of completed capital projects that have remaining balance, as well as other projects that, that could be closed out. And this is done in conjunction with uh, the financial statements. And so you can see there the various funding sources within the apologies within the capital funds. On the first column, it's, it's the funding source, and then the capital funds are across the top. And so the amount in total of 879,000 is being returned from projects to the original funding source. In, case, in all cases, these are projects that have been completed. There's not any scope or um, budget changes to the, or rather there are not any scope changes to these projects. These are projects which have been completed and are returning funding to the source. Um, the next, we have line item adjustments not requiring an appropriation. So these are adjustments that are contained within one city fund and can be completed administratively, but are brought forward here as they're either of particular interest um, on particularly important policy issues or otherwise of interest to council. So one I'll highlight here is um, IFF physical contributions. So within the labor agreement with the firefighters, the city um, is required to do physicals each year for the firefighters. That program is um, up and running for 2023, and we have a budget adjustment to recognize the funding for that in 23 and 24. Resources forward. This is another mostly technical adjustment that we do in the June of uh, the odd numbered years. And so at the end of when we complete the budget for 23, 24, we estimate the starting fund balance for every city fund. Now that the year is complete and the financial statements have been, have been um, worked out, we know the accurate starting fund balance. And so for each city fund there, we have an adjustment that, that adjusts what we originally assumed the fund balance would be to what the new fund balance is. In most cases, the difference is uh, revenue slightly above budget or expenditure slightly under budget. I'll highlight a couple of these fund balances. One is the general fund, which we talked about at more length in the council's May retreat. And that $1.7 million number was what we discussed then. Um, you can see particularly large um, changes to fund balance in the city's capital project funds, particularly um, fund 310 and 320, which are in, that, in the fourth section there, non-operating funds. These are not adjustments due to revenues being over budget. These are adjustments due to the timing of project expenditures. So when we estimate the expenditures for capital projects, sometimes they happen faster or slower than we initially anticipated. Again, these don't, um, these don't mean there are changes to those capital funds or those capital projects. It's a change in the timing of those expenditures. Away from the, um, just the budget adjustments, we also wanted to give uh, an update on the city's ARPA program. 
So of the total just over $10 million that the city received in two tranches in 21 and 22, 60% of that has either been expended or encumbered. And so it's either it's part of a project, we either have spent the money or we have contracts signed for that money. Of the remainder, 25% is allocated to projects that are currently in process. Um, then we have about $1.5 million that is unallocated. Staff are recommending reserving this amount to support the upcoming childcare initiative, which we talked about at the May retreat. This is in support of the city work plan item, attract and retain employees. Um, there will be more updates during the mid-biennial process and a final decision on this project will be taken either during the mid-bi process or in 2024. Before I move away from this, I just wanted to highlight a couple of the example projects that are in process. You can see them there at the bottom. So we have the electric leaf blowers, um, which, is, which, which is transitioning, again, was part of the budget process, transitioning the city away from gas-powered leaf blowers. We have human services grants, business support, and internally some hybrid meeting room support and some city hall space planning um, to better use the city hall, the space at city hall. So my second to last slide is the summary of adjustments. And so this shows the total changes. Um, and so at the end of the carryover adjustments in March, the city's budget was just over a billion dollars, 1.046. Um, we now have, as I mentioned at the beginning, about $10.4 million, to, uh, just under $10.5 million of total adjustments. And so if council approves the ordinance before us tonight, the new revised budget um, will be 10564943227. This is my final slide. So the staff recommendation is approval of ordinance 4851, adopting the revised 2324 budget. Um, and then the next adjustment will be coming as part of the mid-biennial adjustments to, um, which come to council on December 12th, 2023. Any council questions? Thank you, George. Council questions, discussion? Uh, seeing none, somebody want to put it on the table? Councilmember Curtis. I move that we approve ordinance uh, zero or ordinance 4851. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Falcone. Um, any discussion? Uh, this is an ordinance, so clerk, we call the roll. Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes, ordinance 4851 is passed. Um, this takes us to our two quasi-judicial items, at which point I will, this is the Kirkland Middle School Master Plan Amendment and the Thin Hill Middle School Master Plan Approval. Uh, City Attorney. Thank you, Mayor Sweet. Council is now going to consider two closed-record quasi-judicial matters based on the factual records developed before the hearing examiner. Neither was the subject of a challenge. The council will not be receiving any new testimony or evidence this evening. However, the city council in its discretion may of course ask questions of the applicant and the staff regarding facts in the record. Both of the matters tonight involve school district master plans. They are process 2B matters under chapter 152 of the Kirkland Zoning Code involving review of the record and recommendation of the hearing examiner. Under section 152130 of the Kirkland Zoning Code, 
A school use with a property size of five acres or more must receive master plan approval through a process to be review. Here's the format the council has established for each of these two matters. Senior planner Tony Levitt will make a staff presentation and be available to answer any questions from the council. Also participating by Zoom and available to answer questions is Brian Buck, Director of Support Services for the Lake Washington School District. Thereafter, the council may take this matter under advisement before taking action by voting on the applications either tonight after suspending your rules if you choose to do that or at a following council meeting. When the council acts on each of these two applications, it may do, do one of the following. It may either grant the application, modify and grant the application, or deny the application. Further, if the council were to conclude that it cannot make a decision on the application because the record compiled before the hearing examiner is incomplete or inadequate, it could remand the matter back to the hearing examiner for supplementary findings and conclusions on identified issues. Finally, it's the council's intention that this matter be fair both in appearance and in fact, and that it be conducted impartially. With those intentions in mind, first I would like to ask council members whether any member has had any third party or ex parte communications with proponents or opponents of these applications. Seeing none. Seeing none. Next, I would like to ask whether any council member believes they have prejudged these matters, cannot remain impartial, or has an, any, int any interest whereby they stand to gain or lose by a decision either way. Yeah. Seeing none. Thank you, Mayor Sweet. Okay, we are now ready to proceed. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Edmer. As uh, outlined by the city attorney, Tony Levitt, our senior planner, is going to walk through the two amendments and be available to answer any questions. Great. Thank you very much. I just wanted to clarify, um, we do have um, three representatives from the school district um, attending virtually if there are any questions regarding this application. Uh, so the first one we're considering tonight is the Kirkham Middle School Master Plan Amendment. Um, the site is located in the Norkirk neighborhood. Uh, the site is located near residential to the north, west, and south. Um, to the east is Crestwoods Park. The campus currently contains an existing school building, three parking lots, a vehicle loading and unloading area assessed from 18th Avenue, a school bus loading and unloading area assessed from uh, 19th Avenue, tennis courts, track and field area, and multiple sport play field. Uh, the school had a previously approved master plan that the city approved in 2002. The proposed addition uh, will um, add approximately a 13,656 square foot eight classroom addition uh, that will add teaching and learning spacings, spaces that will support an additional 200 students at the school. The proposed one story building is located to create a secure courtyard adjacent to the existing building and as you can see from this is located to the east of the existing building. The master plan process requires the city review the application through the process to be approval process, which re requires a hearing examiner recommendation and city council decision. Uh, as part of the master plan application, the applicant is required to show all existing and proposed buildings, roadways, parking areas, utilities, land uses, landscaping, and buffering. The applicant submitted this with their, um, with their package and staff reviewed them for compliance with the code. Um, additionally, staff did a public outreach in via our, our normal um, uh, methods, uh, which included um, emailing neighborhood associations, 
notifying neighbors, posting the property, et cetera. We did receive some public comments. Those public comments, as outlined in the staff memo, summarize or um, sorry, centered around some um, these issues. First was the project size and location and design. That was more of a, a uh, request uh, from the school district to talk about the reason for the addition. Uh, the school district did provide some uh, responses as part of their uh, application to that. Um, there are some questions regarding vehicle drop-off and pickup areas that was assessed by the city's traffic engineer and included that the addition will, have an, uh, will not have a significant impact on that. Uh, there were some off-site parking impacts that neighbors were concerned about that. Uh, to address that, uh, staff recommended and the applicant has agreed to um, send out notices to the staff to make sure that they are utilizing the on-street park, or, I'm sorry, the on-site parking um, and not the on-street parking. Uh, there's plenty of on-site parking for them to utilize. Um, open space impacts, that was more of a question regarding um, the open, the fields and, and potential impacts to that area. And finally, there was an email from the Duwamish tribe regarding some excavation work and when to notify them. So. Um, with that, uh, staff recommended that the application uh, be approved and um, that it met all the zoning requirements for approval. Staff went to the hearing examiner on uh, May 4th, uh, 2023 for a virtual public hearing. City staff and the applicant testified during the hearing. No members of the public testified at that time. On May 15th, the hearing examiner recommended approval with conditions of the application outlined in his report. Conditions included our standard conditions to address city requirements, lighting uh, condition, a tree plan condition, and project construction impact conditions. Additionally, there is a condition to limit off-site parking by school staff. Uh, no challenges to the hearing examiner's recommendation were submitted. So tonight, uh, we would ask that the council consider the hearing examiner's recommendation for the proposed master plan amendment application and take one of the following actions. Either direct staff to return to the July 18th council meeting with a final resolution to grant the cap application as recommended by the hearing examiner, modify and grant the application or deny the application. An alternative, you could direct that the application be considered at a reopening of the hearing before the hearing examiner and specify the issues or issue to be considered at the hearing. In lieu of the above, the city council may, by a vote of at least five members, suspend the rule to vote on the matter at the next meeting, instead vote on the matter tonight. A resolution reflecting the recommendation of the hearing examiner has been enclosed for your consideration. Tony, do you want to just move on to the second one, or do we want to? Um, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. City Attorney, that's how you wanted me to proceed, right? Is to consider them both together? Yeah, so they're, they're separate. Okay, yeah. They're separate. Okay, so would we then move into... I think, I think now would be appropriate if you have questions of staff or the school district. Uh, regarding this first application to ask questions about it and then and then consider if you want to um, suspend your rules to vote on it tonight or 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 postpone a decision until a, a later meeting thank you uh, deputy mayor Arnold. a couple of questions for staff uh, tony you mentioned the uh, impacts of parking off-site parking and drop-off in the state 
that exists on the site after construction is completed. How is those impacts during construction handled? Because the master plan is silent on that. Yeah, we will as as part of the building permit application um, and or grading permit application. The applicant will may have to make sure um, to submit a plan for those park those areas to ensure that those those areas remain open during construction. The preliminary plans that they have shown us uh, will not should not have impacts on those on those areas, but um, that is something that we will confirm as part of the, the building permit application. Okay, thank you. And a question for the school district. The uh, transportation study indicates that the existing portables will remain on site. Could the school district talk about their plans for those existing two portables? Hi, I, can you guys see me? This is Ina Holzer. I'm the project yes, manager. Yes, we can. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, the portables are currently, um, we intend, they intend to remain on site. We've already um, spent the resources to put them there and we'll keep them on site until um, we need to, we need them uh, elsewhere. Thank you. Thank you. Any further questions? Uh, Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I move that we suspend the rule so that we can vote on the master plan amendment tonight. Second. The move by Councilmember Nixon, seconded by Councilmember Curtis, to suspend the rules uh, and be able to vote on this tonight. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries, but we will wait. Or do we want to go ahead and Get a motion to move it now. I would, I would recommend that you consider a motion to move it now, and then staff can turn to the second application. Excellent. <coughs> Council Mayor Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I move that we adopt Resolution R fifty five ninety five. Do you want me to read the whole thing? Uh, I don't think it's necessary. Okay, thank you. Second. Moved by Council Member Falcone, seconded by Council Member Black. Any discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Tony, you, you're on. On to the next one. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, the next application is for the Finn Hill Middle School Master Plan. Um, so the site for this school is located in the Finn Hill neighborhood um, at the corner of 132nd and 84th Avenue Northeast. Uh, site is, is surrounded mostly by residential. There is a uh, the Big Fin Hill Park, which is located to the north of the, the campus. Uh, the campus contains an existing school building, parking lot, vehicle loading area assessed from 132nd, a vehicle loading unloading area accessed from 84th, a school bus loading and loading area unloading area accessed from 132nd, tennis courts and and um, other sports play fields. Um, in 2011, the city annexed the subject property from King County. Prior to annexation, uh, King County approved the site's development as part of a building permit application in 2010, but did not require a master plan zoning permit approval. So this is a little different than the previous one in that we, will, we are approving a master plan, not, a, not an amendment. Uh, the proposed uh, addition uh, is also an eight classroom addition located to the north of the existing school. The 13,729 square foot addition will add teaching and learning spaces that support 200 additional students at the school. The proposed two-story building is located 
uh, just north of the school to create a, a secure courtyard. Um, the total enrollment for the school will be approximately 800, will be 835 students. Um, as previously mentioned, the master plan requires, uh, process requires the city council, um, the application go through a 2B approval process, which requires hearing examiner recommendation and city council decision. Um, as part of the master plan application, the applicant has submitted all the required elements and uh, staff has reviewed those for compliance. Um, additionally, um, we did, uh, similar to the previous application, we did public outreach and received um, just two comments in this case. Uh, the first comment was regarding vehicle drop-off and pickups um, and um, on-site traffic flow um, impacts during construction. We looked at those and confirmed that those will not, that traffic flow will not be impacted. Additionally, uh, the traffic engineer looked at the vehicle drop-off and pickups to make sure there would not be a significant impact um, with this project. Additionally, there was a letter from the Duwamish tribe regarding the excavation work that the applicant has agreed to incorporate into their plans. Uh, staff concluded that the proposed application complies with the master plan and the process 2B zoning requirements. Uh, we went to hearing on this application on June 7th. Uh, city staff and the applicant testified during the hearing. There were no members of public that testified. On June 12th, the hearing examiner recommended approval with conditions of application outlined in his report. Conditions include the standard conditions to address city requirements, lighting, tree plans, parking, project construction, and project construction impacts. Additionally, there is a condition to address existing improvements inside of the sensitive area buffers and widening of the driveway from the site to 84th Avenue Northeast. No challenges to the recommendation were submitted. So again, uh, tonight, you are to consider this application. Um, you have the following options. You can direct staff to re return to the July 18th meeting with the re final resolution to grant the application as recommended by the hearing examiner, modify and grant the application, or deny the application. An alternative, you can direct that the application be considered at the reopening of the hearing before the hearing examiner and specify the issues to be considered at the hearing. In lieu of the above, the City Council may, by a vote of at least five members, suspend the rule to vote on the matter at the next meeting and instead vote on the application at tonight's meeting. A resolution reflecting uh, the recommendation of the hearing examiner is enclosed. Um, additionally, staff is aware that there may be an amendment at this point um, regarding some pedestrian uh, safety issues. With that, discussion? Councilmember Pascal. I just had some questions. Um, the amendment that you're referring to is something that I was uh, wanting to to put forward after uh, we moved the resolution. But in terms of the the questions, when you're talking about uh, access to the schools, and this would have been a question actually for the Kirkland Middle School as well. You know, one of the things we we've, we've worked on over the last few years is the Safer Routes to School Action Plan, and Part of that was not just improving safety uh, to and from the schools, but it was also about encouraging uh, the school community to use alternative forms of transportation, making it easier, more convenient, safer, all of those things. Um, and, and could you talk a little bit about how the city uh, looks at that uh, in the context of these master plans? Um, you know, I, unfortunately, I'm not the... the Number one expert on that, um, I, I believe during the during the um, traffic engineers review, 
um, they'll look at those those elements um, and determine um, you know the appropriate if there's any appropriate mitigation in this case um, so typically the the school district handles their their own SEPA um, determinations um, so they'll send the traffic report to the city for review um, and to look at any potential to mitigation um, as far as um, alternative alternative transportation or anything like that I, I'm not aware of what they look at as far as that is concerned okay so I guess so that the, the question I guess is so when we're looking at um, trying to provide a safer way to access a school mm -hmm. recognizing that we're going to have more students and parents and, and stuff either picking up dropping off going to school coming from school uh, were, were were improvements to the crosswalks and other things considered because that's what I was looking for I didn't mm -hmm. it, it was hard there was almost 500 pages yeah <laughs> so I wanted to uh, make sure I wasn't missing anything but what I what I read is that that wasn't necessarily analyzed and no I I, and I don't I don't okay. think it, it was okay thank you Okay, uh, Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I move that we suspend the rules so that we can vote on the Finhill Middle School Master Plan approval tonight. Second. Moved by Councilmember Nixon, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to suspend the rules. Discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Uh, opposed? Motion carries unanimously. Um, with that, can I get a uh, motion to approve uh, resolution. What oh, can't find the number? Mayor. Uh, no. 5596. Councilmember Pascal. I move resolution 5596. Second. We move by Councilmember Pascal. Second by Councilmember Falcone. Discussion. Councilmember Pascal. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, first, just want to be clear on the record that um, it's very much support. Uh, working and partnering with the school district on um, increasing school capacity where needed throughout throughout uh, the city and so very much in support of these projects uh, to uh, build more classroom space uh, for our expanding community with that you know that that expanded um, amount of students that are attending the, the schools that that comes with um, you know additional demands on on our on the infrastructure and one of the things I noticed was that the the traffic analysis or the analysis uh, attached to the master plan you know really did focus on the vehicle aspect you know how vehicles buses uh, were getting to and from the school there was a and if you look at all those reports um, a vast majority of the pages are made up of about that analysis there's very little about how uh, kids and parents get to school uh, by other means. Um, it was actually about a half a page in in those reports. And you know, I that it's a separate comment, but it seems like it would we there would be some value in looking about at how we actually analyze uh, needs and impacts and making sure that we're staying true to where our transportation master plan and our comprehensive plan state policies are. Uh, regarding alternative forms of transportation but as you as you increase uh, 
more kids uh, going to and from the school, more parents going to pick them up, you create more situations where there's those conflicts between those that are biking and walking and those that are uh, driving in vehicles. And there's one specific situation that has been communicated for many years at FNL Middle School with the crosswalk at the main entrance to the driveway. And we've heard um, uh, from, from parents, uh, from administration officials uh, about that problem. I remember the, when my kids went there, the, the principal at the time would go out there and actually direct traffic uh, because he was concerned about the kids' safety of the crosswalk there. Um, and then that crosswalk project was then subsequently uh, included into the Safer Routes to School Action Plan. Uh, it was identified as a priority by the Finhill Neighborhood Alliance uh, this past year as part of the Neighborhood Safety Program, and it just kind of missed the cut on our list that we reviewed in May. And so this, this project really gets at reducing the number of con conflict points that kids walking to school would encounter with vehicles. And so as, as more conflict, conflict points increase, the degree of risk of safety increases. And so we're trying to reduce that, and this project would do that uh, based upon you know, all the different um, input that's been provided in the past. So I talked with the city manager and the city attorney about drafting an amendment, and I'll read that here in a sec, but, but my understanding is this is supported by Lake Washington School District. Um, the intent would be for the school district to implement this as part of a construction of the expansion. And really, this is the opportune time to address this because that expansion results in uh, increased demand to and from the school. So just wanted to kind of put that out there for background for uh, my colleagues. So I would... I would um, uh, move to amend uh, Resolution 5596 uh, to approve the issuance of the process to be permit for the master plan as recommended by the hearing exam examiner with the addition of a condition requiring the applicant prior to final inspection of the building and permit to relocate the existing crosswalk across Northeast 132nd Street to the east side of 82nd Avenue Northeast. Second. Been amended by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Falcone uh, to change the language as described with the conditions described. Uh, any discuss further discussion? Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I just want to reiterate what Councilmember Pascal expressed that this is a concern, a safety concern that we've heard from families time and time again over the years, and it's something that I um, have also heard from the school administration there, the current school administration, and pa Councilman Pascal has heard from the previous school administration. You know, the Finhill neighborhood has identified it, so I will be strongly supporting uh, this amendment. Thank you. Thank you. The question is on the uh, amendment to the motion made by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Falcone. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion, the amendment passes unanimously. Question is on the motion uh, to pass resolution 5596, moved by Councilmember Pascal, seconded by Councilmember Falcone. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. I believe that does that for 
us, and we will move on to item D, but we will take our 15-minute break now. That takes us to 921. Thank you. Thank you. Light mayor. Thank you. We are back from a brief break in the middle of our business meeting. We are at item D on our business agenda, the Kirkland Zoning Code uh, Chapter 117 and Kirkland Municipal Code Title 26 <coughs> Wireless Amendment Adoption. City Manager. Okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, so this has been a huge team effort between public works and planning, but to walk you through these wireless amendments, uh, we're going to be kicking you off with our senior planner, Lindsay Levine. Speaking the presentation. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. I'm Lindsay Levine, Senior Planner, and I'm presenting about the Kirkland Zoning Code Chapter 117 and Kirkland Municipal Code Title 26 Wireless Amendments. I have 13 slides, but the presentation should only take around 10 minutes. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity for council discussion for the council to ask questions. I'm joined by Allison Zyke and Adam Weinstein from the Planning and Building Department and Stephanie Kroll from the City Attorney's Office to help with the questions. At the very end, Council will consider adoption of Ordinance 04852 and Ordinance 04853. So for just a little bit of background, the FCC is a federal regulating authority for communications, including wireless service facilities. The purpose of prior and more recent amendments to FCC regulations is to reduce the barriers for wireless infrastructure deployment and to prevent discrimination among providers of functionally equivalent services. The regulations accomplish this by limiting local government's authority to regulate wireless facilities, requiring a streamlined review process, by implementing strict application review timeframes for all approvals. The FCC calls this the shot clock, limiting the fees that local governments can charge for use of public rights of way, use of government property in the right of way, and permit fees. There are also newer FCC regulations for small wireless facilities that the city needs to comply with. Local governments have some authority to determine aesthetic standards, including design elements like height, concealment, and setting a preferred siting hierarchy, but they must be reasonable and published in advance. Moving forward with the code, it's important to note that cities do not have the authority to regulate the underlying technology itself or prohibit the rollout of technology. While most of what the city has been seeing so far has been new small wireless facilities, the industry let us know that carriers are continuing to improve their networks with both small wireless facilities and macro facilities, so we should expect to see more of both in the city. Small wireless facilities are focused on the rights of way in adjacent areas and are often installed on existing infrastructure like utility poles or light poles, as shown in the examples on the right. The photo rendering on the left shows an example macro facility. Now I'm going to discuss the amendments and note that the purpose of the amendments is to comply with FCC regulations, not to expand allowances. And I wrote, won't read all the slides on the, the points on the slide, I'll just touch on some of the changes. So the KCC amendments include a streamlined application review process to comply with the FCC shot clocks. Um, the amendments establish King County Superior Court or another court of competent jurisdiction as the jurisdiction to which an applicant must file any changes to the city decision. The amendments establish firm procedures and sections and codifies application requirements. The amendments clarify existing design standards and add more specificity for certain types of installations. 
The amendments do not change the height limitations for new towers in residential zones, but clarify that new towers are not to exceed the height requirements of the underlying zoning district by more than 10 feet. The amendments remove modern modifications since most modification requests can be processed as eligible facilities modifications. The amendments to KMC Title 26 also regulate wireless facilities and the corresponding franchise agreement, so we worked on updates simultaneously. The major amendments are revising the requirements around franchise fees, um, changing the name of the title to telecommunications franchises, and removing the use permit section because site license or lease agreements are replacing use permits for wireless facilities when applicable. The Planning Commission held a public hearing on May 11th. The staff presentation included some amendments based on comments received from the wireless industry. AT&T and Verizon provided written comments and public testimony. The Planning Commission recommended the amendments, but they acknowledged that staff would be working on additional edits based on industry comments. The Planning Commission also deferred to Council on the issue of allowed tower height residential zones, which I'll discuss in a later slide. Since the Planning Commission hearing, we received additional comments from AT&T and Verizon and incorporated some of the recommendations. Many of the recommended edits are stylistic or minor, and the substantive edits are in tables three and four in the staff memo. I can pull up additional slides later during the discussion portion if Council would like to take a look at those edits a bit more. Staff was able to resolve most of the industry's comments, so I'll only discuss the main remaining issues the industry has. So for tower height, um, the industry requests that new towers in all zones be allowed by right up to 60 feet. In the proposed amendments, new towers in residential zones may not exceed 40 feet in height, which is consistent with the current code. In non-residential zones, the height of new towers may not exceed the height requirements of the underlying zoning district by more than 10 feet. But note that this is not the max height a tower can reach. This is just the allowed initial height for new towers. New towers can be designed to allow extensions to accommodate the future co-location of additional antennas and support equipment. An application, applicants can apply for an eligible facilities modification later to get that increased height. Also, current height regulations do not apply to utility poles, which is where most of the applicants currently locate. Finally, there's a provision that allows a city to improve increase in height um, for towers in any zones if the denial of the proposed tower will be in violation of the 1996 Telecommunications Act. I'd also like to add that there's not an outright height limit on small wireless facilities, though we have some design standards related to those. Therefore, staff feels that wireless carriers have several options without needing to change the allowed initial height of towers. I'd like to emphasize that this is one of the few aspects that the city can actually regulate. The other, the other issue that the industry has is um, the request for more flexibility in design for rooftop antennas. While we recognize that rooftop antennas can fill an important role in wireless provider networks, the city's existing standards, which are carried forward into the new zoning code, seek to minimize the visual impact of antennas installed on rooftops by requiring strategies like flush mounting in locations that help blend the antennas into the overall building massing. As you can see on the slide, the code does allow and encourages building mounting antennas to be flush mounted to the side of buildings or flush mounted to rooftop appurtenances. The code does not allow the initial installation of panel antennas to project above the roof line, though an exception is when installations are flush mounted to an existing rooftop appurtenance. I'll show some examples of these in the next slides. Uh, 
And I'd like to highlight that restrictions in the code are on initial installations only. Applicants are able to exceed code standards through eligible facilities modifications. So I have an example showing rooftop antennas that are not flush mounted to the building or flush mounted to a rooftop impertinence, but the code is trying to avoid these types of installations and has for a long time. In the drawing on the right, installations in the center are on the top of a rooftop appurtenance, and so they stick out above the roof line. In the photo on the left, the rooftop antennas are mounted on the rooftop and are scattered, some close to the edge and they are quite noticeable from the street. The left image is a wireless facility that's flush mounted to the side of a building. On the right, there is a wireless facility that's flush mounted to a rooftop appurtenance and it's shrouded. These types of rooftop installations are what the code is trying to encourage as they blend in with the building. So for next steps, um, staff is gonna continue working on the streamlined wireless permit and we recommend a delayed effective date of January 1st, 2024, since there's a lot we need to reconfigure on the back end to get these new consolidated permits up and running and we need to train staff. And so staff recommends that the council approve ordinance 04852, which repeals and replaces KZC chapter 114. Staff also recommends the council approve ordinance 04853, which repeals and replaces the KMC title 26. And um, just to note that um, we are recommending repeal and replace because the changes were quite extensive. And so with that, I'd like to turn it over or open it up to questions. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, council, questions, discussion? Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, Lindsay, you said that there was an opportunity for an applicant to apply for a eligible facilities modification. What are the steps for that and what do they need to prove in order to qualify for that EFM? Yeah, EFM. Yeah, so EFMs um, are for modifications to, uh, to an existing um, wireless facility. Um, it exists in our current code and would also exist in our proposed code. Um, and it's a process um, that is partially codified currently um, in our zoning code. And we add a lot more clarifications in the new code about that. Um, but there's a lot of different aspects um, that an applicant would need to include. Um, different drawings, they would need to submit answers to a checklist um, proving that they um, fall under this type of um, application. And I'll turn it over to Allison to add some more details and she's a bit more familiar. Yeah, thanks Lindsay and thanks for the question council member Curtis. Um, I think the, the other thing that I'll mention about the eligible facilities modifications is that this is a process that the city adopted um, back in 2016 or 17 because of uh, regulation that the FCC adopted. So this was something we had to adopt into our code, a process that we had to implement here. Um, and essentially what the FCC has done is outline certain changes that can be made to existing wireless installations that aren't considered a substantial change. And substantial change is a defined kind of bundle of changes that can be, um, that can be made. So uh, if something isn't a substantial change, uh, it's an eligible facility modification, and not only are we bound to review it in a 
a pretty short amount of time, but if we don't take action on it in that amount of time and the shot clock expires, if the carrier essentially calls us on it, it has to be deemed approved. Um, and we can get into more detail if you have questions about what a substantial change is or isn't, but it's it's defined and it's in um, it's in the draft code, it's in our existing code as well. Okay, thank you. My other question is, there was a testimony earlier today that um, our code is significantly different from other communities. Is that accurate? Have we compared our code to other communities? Um, I haven't specifically done a deep dive looking into other um, cities' codes, but we did work very closely um, with outside legal counsel. Um, they helped us um, drafting the code, and they have worked with a lot of other cities to um, implement wireless code updates. Um, they, they didn't flag it to us as being um, so, so different. Um, we certainly are um, a bit stricter in height, perhaps in some other jurisdictions, um, but this is also something that um, we are allowed to regulate um, the height and we have very few things that we are allowed to regulate as a city um, based on um, FCC regulations. They've really done a lot to um, make it, try to make it easy for carriers to, to install. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. <clears throat> uh, I, I reviewed the, the, the letters that we received from the carriers, and um, um, I'm pretty persuaded by their argument. Um, it looks to me like the, the pushback for, from their proposals is primarily aesthetic, and I just don't share those aesthetic concerns. Uh, for me, the towers are... Uh, more about progress than they are about being ugly, although some of the short towers are pretty ugly, right? Um, it seems like there's an opportunity here that if we really want to reduce the number of freestanding towers in the community, what we ought to do is make it easier to put antennas on tops of buildings and make it easier to um, have taller towers that cover a greater area. And so by allowing the carriers to um, increase the capacity and the coverage from fewer towers by having more height and more of them on buildings, we actually have less of an aesthetic impact, negative aesthetic impact on the community because there's fewer freestanding towers. And so <clears throat> if it were up to me, um, I would make the changes that are being proposed to allow the 65-foot height and to have uh, antennas on tops of buildings without them having to be attached to existing rooftop appurtenances. Um, my, my real question is, what's the right way to accomplish that? Um, we could postpone these ordinances and ask the staff to bring back amendments that would do these things. Um, or we could say, let's pass these as they are because the scope of, of the intent of the current project was to just match what the FCC has done and then have a separate process where we can focus on the aesthetic issues, give the community the ability to focus on the aesthetic issues with the hearings, et cetera, and um, take it as a phase two to consider the requests that we've received from the carriers. Um, my preference would be let's just add it to what we have because these are actually very simple amendments that they're proposing. Um, uh, they've already given us the text of the amendments. Um, 
and that's what I would do. I would postpone this consideration for one meeting, bring back the amendments to incorporate what they want. I have no idea if I have support from other council members for that idea. Um, uh, but at the very least, I think that if we go ahead and adopt these as they are, we should come back uh, immediately or soon, um, not five years from now, and look at accommodating the increased height of st standalone towers and the um, uh, appurtenances or the, the short towers on tops of buildings. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, <laughs> I think there's some merit to, to the two-step process in terms of, I mean, if, if it's so that uh, additional height could have an impact on fewer facilities, if that relationship is is a definite one-to-one -one relationship, then I think <clears throat> it's worth investigating. Um, my inclination would be to pass these as is and come back the way you suggested. And I'm wondering, anybody else? Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Madam Mayor. <clears throat> the original scope of these amendments were to comply with the FCC requirements, the shot clock, the places where we had a process that was um, uh, something that could be challenged. That's what the Planning Commission looked at. That's what the public feedback opportunities were. Um, if we were going to look at things like changing heights, I would not want to do so until we've had an appropriate public process. And perhaps this is something that is better handled as part of the comp plan discussion to get some ideas on if there are areas since height is something that we control, are there areas of the city where this makes some sense, areas where it, it doesn't? When we talk about more than 40 feet of height in residential areas, I think that is of concern. But elsewhere, it may not be. Um, so what, what I would, I think we need to take action immediately moving forward and then figure out what the, the process is. Just in April, we approved a two-year planning work program and I, I wouldn't put this as any higher priority than anything else we've already approved, but I do think we can get some feedback during the comp plan process for what could move forward and understand if this is a change that could happen as part of the existing miscellaneous code amendment process or something else. I think I could support that option. Other comments? Councilmember Black? Thank you, Madam Mayor. So um, I was just going to ask, uh, I think uh, Kirkland Zoning Code 117 was adopted in 2006. We don't have a ton of folks still around from that process. But um, our, my sense is if Kirkland did things in the way they normally do, there was a public process um, and concerns were probably raised by the community about the aesthetic issues that have been discussed by the council tonight. Um, and that's where the 40-foot 40, 40 limits came from is initial concern from the uh, community. We can certainly open up this issue again um, and have the community weigh in again. I, I am interested in the question of whether uh, some flexibility on the height would, would truly lead to fewer facilities. Um, that's a question that's of interest to me. Um, but I don't want to ignore that they're probably in all likelihood, and I guess there's a, this is a question if anyone has the answer to this question, including some of our staff members, of um, 
whether our typical Kirkland robust public process was conducted in connection with the adoption of the original code. Allison, if you or Adam, if you'd like to jump in, and um, I do believe the um, the zoning code for 117 was last updated in 2016. Yeah, Councilmember Black, I'm sorry to say I'm not I'm not sure about what outreach or what input was received when we originally adopted it in 2006. In 2017, what we adopted in 2017 was kind of a similar to this process where we were adopting to really make sure we were compliant with FCC regulations. And at that time, it was to adopt the eligible facilities modification process. And also, um, I believe we were one of the first jurisdictions locally to actually introduce standards for small cell wireless, which at the time was what we heard was the next you know big thing coming. Um, I can tell you that we do receive input fairly regularly from um, community members that are very concerned about the aesthetics of of new installations they see going up in neighborhoods. So while it hasn't been associated specifically with this code amendment process, we do hear that concern um, when sites are going up in um, particularly um, obvious or, or visual places like Market Street, for example. Yeah, and I, I guess we would have to really, it would take a deeper dive than, than we can tonight. It would, we'd have to figure out when the 40 foot height limit that we have now in residential district areas was actually adopted uh, and whether that was subject to any amendment. But I guess what I would say is um, I strongly suspect that our community uh, does have some concerns about the aesthetics of, of uh, these facilities. Uh, it's one of the few areas which we can regulate. Uh, the industry has a great deal of uh, flexibility. Um, to not only um, cite these locations in a way that is compliant with our, our rules, but also ways of seeking um, uh, uh, variances, for lack of a better term. Um, and there's so many areas in, the, in which we are not allowed to regulate. Um, so I have no problem with um, adopting this tonight. Um, I'm, uh, if we are going to take a closer look at um, the height, what I really want us to focus on is whether it's true that we would be reducing the number of facilities if we allowed in certain areas, as Deputy Mayor mentioned, certain logical areas, um, if we uh, allowed greater uh, tower height. So thanks. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I agree with the general direction that this conversation is going among my colleagues. I would prefer to uh, take action on the current proposed amendments and then um, come back at a later time to discuss um, to discuss the aesthetics and, and height. Uh, part of that discussion I would really like to have as well is what would be the benefits to the community with increased height and in addition to maybe fewer towers. I will not share what carrier I have. However, I, there are spots throughout the city where I don't have good coverage and I've heard this from a lot of Kirkland residents for a couple of different carriers and so um, I would like to know if having these taller, bigger, less frequent towers would uh, improve service throughout the city as well uh, to the residents and visitors of Kirkland. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Pascal. Yeah, definitely delaying this to get more input, uh, at least on, on the height issue for a later date would be beneficial. I remember talking about this when annexation occurred. Hmm. The county had different height requirements, and that's why you do see a lot of different... Um, towers up there that were kind of grandfathered in um, before the city uh, enacted its zoning requirements. And so we had a long discussion on that. We got a lot of, of input 
so that's kind of, when I saw this on the agenda, that kind of remembered all those discussions. And, uh, and going forward, I would really want this to be discussed as part of the work program because we have so many demands on the planning department. Um, I'm always open to looking at new, new things and how we can do things differently and considering new, th uh, new ideas um, and how those may or may not benefit the population at large. But I want to do it uh, when we're considering the long list of all the needs. Um, and does this fall, does this, where does this stack up? So that's, that would be my preference on when we take this up again. I, I don't know that it's worth spending time on as part of the comp plan if it takes away from doing other things. Um, that would be my, my feedback. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Well, and, I, and I'll just say, you know, if we don't deal with the issues that have been raised by the carriers now, I'm going to vote yes on this anyway because we have mm -hmm. to align our code with the FCC rules. Um, but I would like to see this considered um, so that, you know, if there is actually the potential of reducing the number of new freestanding towers that get built, that that we've taken a serious look at that. And, and maybe it would be interesting to at least invite um, the carriers to send us a, a white paper or something mm -hmm. that actually describes that benefit. And then that would allow us to, to at least uh, have their input as to what, what, what that, those factors really are. Super, I think we've had enough discussion. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I think the carriers are probably this listening. So um, could I get a motion to approve Ordinance 4852? So moved. Second. Moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to adopt Ordinance 4852. Any further discussion? Clerk, will you call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Uh, Ordinance 4852 is approved. Can I get a motion to approve, approve Ordinance 4853? So moved. Second. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Falcone uh, to approve Ordinance 4853. Any discussion? Clerk, will you please call the roll? Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold? Yes. Mayor Sweet? Yes. Ordinance 4853 is passed. Thank you. That takes us to item E, back to potential <clears throat> parks ballot measure discussion. Welcome back, Hillary. Thank you. So I want to do a quick introduction of this. So we're going to do two things here. One is we're going to... Um, Go back and affirm what you said in the study session as, as potential action for us to bring back to the July 5th meeting. Um, and then we also want to talk a little bit about the ballot title. And for that, we have Deanna Gregory, our bond counsel here um, as well, although we're not going to try to finish the ballot title tonight. We just want to get initial thoughts and comments. And then, again, if the council decides to proceed, we'll bring that back as well. So um, Hillary, our management analyst, is going to put it up. And then we have Lynn Zwagstra, George, and Deanna available online for the conversation. Hello uh, again, council members. Uh, as Kurt said, we're returning with some ballot measure discussion. And uh, the intent here, as he said, is to affirm some of the assumptions that we've made based upon discussion earlier this evening. Um, so 
council or staff heard that we would proceed with a single year permanent levy lid lift for operations and PAYGO capital projects. Um, and then uh, all elements with the exception of costs related to the aquatics and recreation center would be funded from the levy as annual costs and PAYGO. And that includes a portion of design and permitting for the facility. The actual construction of the recreation and aquatic center will be paid with um, LTGO bonds, and that would have a payback of, of debt service of 30 years. And finally, we're working under the assumption um, that we would pursue the November 2023 ballot measure, although council does still have um, two meetings to change that decision. Uh, so on that note, we want to just double check that those are the right um, assumptions to continue on with financial modeling. I guess I don't need to be the very first one to speak, but since I wasn't at the study session, I did want to just um, share with my colleagues that um, these were the same um, preferences that I had um, coming in to tonight. Uh, so um, I have really, I have no objection to uh, the council preferences as reflected from the earlier study session. Thanks. Thank you for that. Okay, it looks like you, you caught it. <clears throat> okay, great. Well, we'll go ahead and move on to the actual elements to be included in the ballot measure. Um, so we're looking for direction on elements that we should include uh, for the purposes of a more detailed financial modeling that we would bring on July 5th. Um, before we go to each of the elements, I'd like to mention that earlier today, we had a recommendation from council member Nixon on an alternative model to this specific model. Council member Nixon recommended that we pursue just the aquatics and recreation center, year round restrooms and sports courts. Um, when you look at the subtotal new investments line, you can see the total for the recommended package. Um, council member Nixon's totals are as follows. The right-hand column, financial capital uh, debt service, that would remain the same. Um, the left-hand column, annual operating, um, would go from the 2.4 million to 1 million 720,000. Um, and then the PAYGO capital column would go from the $18 million listed to 13,500,000. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, and um, City Manager Triplett recommended that we actually go through each one of these oh. individually. So well, I'm going to amend my suggestion nope. to say that you know, maybe okay. a recommendation if someone wants to remove something, that we do that rather than go through each one and affirm them all, since this okay. was a conversation that happened in the study session. That hmm. would be more expedient. Um, so on that note, um, I could answer any questions on the elements that are listed here. Uh, and we're looking for feedback on anything you would like to remove. Councilmember Nixon. So um, do you want like a motion to remove something? I think that would probably be the most logical since you'll be making a final decision that will then okay. choose to cost out for the July 5th meeting. So um, I, I may not get a second, but I move to remove the enhanced park safety and security measure. Second. 
Discussion? So um, as I remarked earlier, um, I think we need to uh, focus on the essential things that would, be, that would be fundamentally impossible or very difficult to do uh, within our current budget. And for me, that means the ones that have a capital, a significant capital component um, or very high operating subsidies required. And so for me, that's the aquatic center, the restrooms, and the, the courts. Um, the, the others I see as almost entirely operational things. Um, but we'll get to the green loop in a second. And um, uh, so this is one that I think um, I would prefer to see funded from our normal budget rather than a separate ballot measure asking people to raise their property taxes. Okay, and my only comment would be that I ha I have to agree that I think it's it's too big, and there are certain areas where I feel like we would <clears throat> incorporate it, and this is one of those areas. So the question is on the motion made by the further comments, well, Madam. Further comments. I've well, who wants to hear from anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to just offer a comment because it's going to be the same comment for any other um, measure that's uh, being requested to be removed is that I want to stay true to the process. I want to stay true to PFAC. I want to stay true to what we heard from the park board, what we've heard from the public survey, what, and all the discussions um, as part of that process. So that's why I will not be supporting this. Thank you. Deputy Mayor. Thank you, Madam Mayor. And to the same extent of commenting on uh, uh, any of these removals, the feedback that we're getting that this is too big and does too much come down to the fact that we're building a $108 million aquatic center. And you could eliminate everything else, and it's still a big, big investment. And uh, to that end, uh, making individual things that are taking a million dollars off here or there isn't going to be significant in what we're asking the community to, to go invest in. And as council member, Pascal ably said, we have a process of invested people that have spent the last year studying this and have come up with these, these priorities. And uh, I would uh, want to support that recommendation. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. And thank you to my colleagues who want to support the process. As Deputy Mayor just said, PFEC spent seven months putting together this ballot measure. And very clearly, they started out with the intention to include something for everyone, and these are the items that have been reflected by PFEC, the community, and the Parks Board, and so I support the ballot measure as is. Thank you. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I didn't raise my hand, but I am happy to. <laughs> um, all I would say is um, uh, my colleagues have uh, have have um, expressed sort of my feeling on this fairly well. Uh, there are there are things on this on the list that um, between the uh, PFAC members of PFAC and the Parks Board and the community, there's things that um, I wouldn't prioritize as high. Um, that I might you know there might have been stuff that aren't on this list that I would like to be on this list, but it's really the process um, that we followed and um, uh, maintaining integrity of the process. So. That's like Councilmember Pascal. That's going to be my um, 
my, my comment on all of these. I won't make those comments again, of course. Thanks. Thank you. Question is on the motion made by Council Member Nixon, seconded by Mayor Sweet, to remove the, where to go? Enhanced park safety and security. Is that where we are? Okay. That's correct. Fr from the elements. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 All those opposed? No. No. Motion fails. Um, five to two. We're all here. I forgot. <laughs> All right, Councilmember Nixon. Thank you. Uh, I move that the Green Loop Trail priority segments be removed. Second. Discussion. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you. One added comment on, on this particular one. We've heard a lot from the Thin Hill Neighborhood Alliance for the past decade about this vision for the Green Loop. And it is not something, uh, unlike uh, some of, the, it is not something that we can fund that full vision under the current current process. Um, acquisition of parkland is something that we've always funded through ballot measures, whether it is bonds going back to 2002 or the opportunity fund that was in the 2012 park levy. And so it's this is entirely appropriate to be part of this ballot measure. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, um, for me, this isn't a priority. And I, don't, I think for the 95,000 people of the city, it's a priority for very few of them. And I'm afraid that this would be viewed as something that was put in just to get votes on Fin Hill. And that um, there are many other things that people would prefer for this money to be spent on if we're gonna spend it, uh, that would have much greater impact for a lot, uh, for many other people. Um, and so, that, that, that's my argument for why this does not need to be on this list. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Curtis. And I will point out that this rated very highly on our community survey. Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, it's certainly possible the Green Loop Trail will now be viewed as uh, pandering to voters in uh, Thin Hill, now that we've said it out loud from the dais. But I just want to uh, underscore what my council member Curtis said. There was a process, um, this scored very highly um, and with PFECT and the community. Thanks. Thank you. Council member Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. As I said in the study session, I also believe in the process, so I will not repeat the comments uh, from my colleagues. But I will say that I think the location of this doesn't mean that it's just for use by the residents there. If we think of the siting of the Aquatic Center, it's not just for folks who live in Southern Kirkland, right? It's for the entire community. And I feel the same way about, about the Green Loop, that it's something that will benefit folks in the entire city and the entire region and not just those who live in close proximity to it. Thank you. Thank you. Question is on the motion by Council Member Nixon, seconded by, er, by, er, by Mayor Sweet. Uh, to remove the element, the Green Loop Trail priority segments from the element list. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? No. no. Motion fails, five to two. Councilmember Nixon. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, the, the handwriting's on the wall, so I'm not gonna waste your time moving either of the others. Um, I think the positions are well stated and uh, we can just move on. Thank you. Thank you. 
So where are we now? Um, do we need a motion to move the elements? You could, although um, probably it would be helpful just to say to move the elements as reflected on the slide. Okay. As the Come elements to be used for calculating what we bring back on July 6th. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'd like to make a motion to move the park investment elements as proposed. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Falcone to accept the element selection as proposed. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion carries six to one. Okay, next up. Yes, thank you, uh, Madam Mayor. So that completes the portion on uh, the ballot measure elements and funding mechanisms. So now we will move on to draft ballot language and our bond council is here. To, Deanna Gregory is here to discuss that with you. Uh, good evening, Mayor and members of the council. Uh, thanks for having me again at the um, council meeting to talk about this um, proposed um, levy lid lift. Uh, just by way of some background, I know there's a lot of words up on the screen right now, um, but just by way of some background, um, as a ballot measure that will go in front of the voters, there are a handful of considerations just to keep in mind, and those are what, of course, guided us um, as we prepared the draft language that is um, before you today uh, for discussion. Um, just some high level of those, of those considerations, the language must be clear, fair, accurate, and neutral, so non-biased, not um, persuasive in any way, of course. Um, there is a word count um, that we have to keep in mind. Um, there's a three parts to every ballot measure um, for general city purposes, and the first part is the um, that first sentence that we have up on the screen, which is the statement of purpose and identification of the um, of the uh, legislative authority. So we reference, of course, the Kirkland City Council and the ordinance that will be uh, considered, and then a general description of the proposed projects. The next section um, is limited to 75 words or less, and um, this is where we uh, earn our, earn our um, meals here. Um, because uh, the next section is limited to that 75 word limit and it needs to contain a concise description of the matter that's before the voters. Plus, because it's a single year levy lid lift or a um, uh, that's going to be um, permanent. And to answer the question from earlier in the study session, the word permanent does not need to be included in the ballot measure itself. Um, but there are a number of requirements that need to be included in the ballot measure that do count against that 75 board limit. Um, those specifically um, are the two sentences that are there at the end. Um, and then, uh, of course, we spend a great deal of time talking about the levy rate, and I'll go back to that in just a second. Um, so that's the um, anatomy of the ballot measure. Um, that uh, rate um, per thousand is the um, multi the million dollar question um, because it, it's a statutory requirement that the aggregate not to exceed regular property tax levy rate be included in the ballot measure. As you heard earlier today, assessed, valuation, assessed valuations uh, within the city are expected in certain areas to shift um, to, um, to come down post the um, pandemic world and, and the increase that occurred last year. 
And um, so that is automatically just as a function of math going to change the city's tax rate. And then on top of that, of course, the levy lid lift. So um, the uh, taking into account all those factors, um, we will come up with and, and um, staff has been working very hard on, um, as you saw earlier, alternate rates to plug into that not to exceed amount. Um, the city does not have to levy that rate. It can, as we discussed during the study session, it can levy a rate that is lower than the not to exceed aggregate regular property tax rate. Um, and um, and uh, that's, that's always an option. Um, the other requirements are whether or not the levy will be permanent or temporary. Um, the second to the last sentence um, addresses this, where it says the 2024 levy amount will be the basis to calculate subsequent levies. Um, that language is intended to, um, and it's the language that comes out of the statute, um, that uh, says that the levy will be permanent and that amount that is collected in 2024 will be used to calculate future levies. And then in the last handful of years, there's been additional exceptions for qualifying seniors, disabled veterans, and others that um, are um, permitted. But if they're going to be permitted um, to those individuals, that language has to be included in the ballot measure. So um, those are the statutory requirements. Um, everything else is the, um, speaks to the elements. Um, all the elements that were identified on the prior slide are um, in one way, shape, or form um, captured in the description of the measure. So the measure um, really focuses on, as you can see here, the parks and um, recreation elements that we've been talking about and highlights some of those bigger operational costs. You'll see that there's no reference in here to paying debt service on bonds or to, um, to fund some of those larger capital projects that will be paid for by bonds um, because this, of course, levy lid lift revenue will be used for operations, PAYGO capital, um, maintenance, um, and other operations. Um, so, um, Another thing I wanna point out, um, and this is probably the point that we spent as a um, kind of group talking a, a great deal about is what's in that parenthetical. Um, Washington state law requires a city to include the aggregate, like I said, the aggregate regular property tax rate. There's no requirement to include anything such as what that incremental increase is in dollars or, or cents, or what that nut is, what that dollar amount is um, intended to equal at the end of the day. It's really common for a jurisdiction to include one or both of those two um, data points because it gives um, voters a little more context of what is being, um, what they're voting for and what they're approving. Because of the fluctuation in assessed valuation, one idea that we batted around was to include a um, that dollar amount that's intended to be generated as a result of this levy, thinking that would be a meaningful data point for voters to see. Um, and so that's why in that parenthetical on the fourth line to the bottom, there's that blank per year um, for these purposes. And so that's really that's the intent of that language there. 
everybody has happy to answer any questions or if we want to chat about the um the contents of the um ballot measure uh and um uh, especially if you have thoughts on the um various components of it tonight i know we're uh um just discussing this at a very high level and it's not being approved tonight discussion questions Deanna, I've got one. Yeah. Where it says averaging approximately, would that be an average? Or would we have to take everything all the way up to our highest? So our, our intent there would actually be the total per year we'd want to levy, which would be mm -hmm. $11.2 million. We still have to calculate that final number, but it's, so it would say averaging approximately $11.2 million per year. And maybe, Dan, you can speak to the alternative if that I know you all talked about in the meeting I was in is if you said yeah. like $232 for the average house, which I believe was not your recommendation. Yeah, and um, uh, we can say, um, and usually this is handled in the explanatory statement, what the impact is per um, average homeowner. And um, so we can provide more detail for sure in the explanatory statement. Uh, and that is provided um, in close proximity right below the ballot um, within the voters pamphlet. So it is something that is accessible to voters. Um, the other alternative of putting uh, for language to put into the ballot, the ballot measure itself is the incremental increase. So the cents per thousand um, of, of what this levy lid lift will, um, how it will increase the, the city's levy rate. Again, because there's that other increase in the city's rate per thousand, not dollar amount, but rate per thousand as a result of, um, that is higher than you would typically see as a result of the dip in assessed valuations. Um, it gave us, and I know it's giving other jurisdictions pause on whether or not that incremental increase is um, a, num a number that is helpful or um, is uh, ex it helps explain or, or is um, or doesn't. Thanks for that, that Deputy Mayor Arnold. Yeah, I don't know if you were privy to the full study session discussion, but we heard some creative, innovative ideas from our senior council on exemptions, and I wanted to see if we had any authority to do exemptions beyond what's already listed here in RCW 84.36? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Um, there are some exemptions that exist that don't need to be included in the ballot measure that are um, other um, exemptions from regular property taxes that would apply in the ordinary course, but there's nothing that is um, above and beyond what your regular property tax levy would have been um, subject to or, or potentially exempt from. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Black. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, and thank you, Deanna, um, for this. I One thing I'll just say, I've never found the increased rate a useful piece of information uh, when voting. I don't think a lot of my fellow voters in Kirkland um, find that that useful and it's not even accurate after the first year, is my understanding. Um, so, um, that is true. One thing I like about what we're doing is I feel like this statement, this latest version of the statement, is more transparent uh, and provides 
it's difficult with the way Washington State's property taxes work to really give voters the information they, they need in just 75 words, but I think this does a better job than what we had in the last draft, so I appreciate it. Thanks. Solid. <clears throat> okay. We'll have some further tweaks and refinements, and then council have a chance to make any other edits at the next meeting. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Is that it? I have the next item as well, but I don't know if you need to read in that item. The pro-con committee appointment. Oh, process. go ahead. Great. Um, so our final slide for this evening um, is related to the potential ballot measure pro-con committee authorization to advertise. Um, and well, the council, um, you know, you've given direction tonight that you're proceeding with exploring a 2023 ballot measure, um, and you will still officially decide that later in July. Um, it's important to have time for um, staff to recruit the pro-con committee statement writers. And so the timeline you'll see proposed on your slide um, suggests that tonight council could authorize the pro-con committee recruitment process and then um, confirm pro-con committee appointments at July, the meeting on July 5th or July 18th. Um, if you were gonna take the last possible date route, um, you could approve the committee recruitment process on the 5th and then the appointments on the 18th. Um, and it's important um, that council, or excuse me, um, each committee that of this, the committees will have up to three members. And so the process would be that staff will advertise this opportunity through the city's um, press release and regular city communications, as well as in the Seattle Times and on the ballot measure website. Um, and then the those um, people that are interested would submit statements to be reviewed by council for your appointment. Um, and then those um, folks would get together to write the pro-con committee statements that appear in the voter's guide um, along with our explanatory statement. And so the timeline is on the sheet, but in order to give everyone time to be recruited and time to write the statements and um, by the August 8th due date, um, staff would um, recommend that council authorize the pro-con committee recruitment. And um, in order to do this, uh, the approval for advertising for volunteers would require a motion um, to authorize staff to initiate the public process calling for community volunteers to prepare statements in favor for, of and in opposition to a potential park ballot measure. Um, and that may be passed with voice by vote. And it's also just important to note that, that um, um, authorizing this recruitment tonight does not symbolize that you've officially authorized the ballot measure to go forward. Uh, Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, Hillary, you changed the language on me, so I'm just gonna, um, so I'd like to make a motion to authorize to recruit for potential ballot measure voter pamphlet pro and con committees. Second. Moved by Councilmember Curtis, seconded by Councilmember Black to approve the appointment of the- The recruitment. The recruitment of pro and con committees. Uh, any further discussion? All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries unanimously. I believe Thank that's you. it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hillary. Thanks, Hillary. Good job tonight. Um, that takes us to item 10, City Council reports. I'm going to start at the left side today. Deputy Mayor Arnold. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, the only thing I wanted to note is 
that Lake Washington High School, International Community School, and Juanita High School all had their graduations last uh, Thursday, and congratulations to uh, all of those graduates. Two things to note upcoming. On Thursday, the Puget Sound Regional Council Executive Board will be considering the Greater Downtown Kirkland designation as a regional growth center. Um, and we'll, we'll be, I have the opportunity to represent Kirkland at, at that meeting, a uh, conclusion of a multi-year effort to get that done. And then on uh, a week from Thursday, on June 29th, PSRC is doing a regional safety summit. And uh, you all should have had something in your inbox as an invite if, uh, uh, if you're interested in, in attending. I will be there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Pasco. Madam Mayor, uh, so we have the Regional Transit Committee tomorrow. Um, um, I, one of the topics of interest is the rapid ride reprioritization process update, um, look at what's next uh, beyond the K-Line. Um, in my monthly meetings with uh, Councilmember Perry, uh, the general manager of Metro comes as well, and so I had the opportunity to talk with her and Councilmember Perry more about the discussion I raised about regional tran uh, about transit uh, strategy and just our concern around the temporary re reductions in transit service in Kirkland and throughout the the region essentially or the county, and um, you know they they welcome further conversation around that. I, I think they're hearing that a lot from other communities, just the concern of when it will come how it will come back online, what's the process for that. Um, so, so she's, she's uh, they're, they're very in tune with that and, and they welcome more discussion. So just wanted to update you on that. Thank you. Councilmember Falcone. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, well, the only thing uh, I will share tonight is in line with Deputy Mayor Arnold's first comment tonight that this is the last week of school for Lake Washington School District students of the year. So congratulations to all the students for a great year um, of hard work and to all the teachers and staff as well. Thank you for all your hard work and good luck parents over the summer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Councilmember Curtis. Thank you, Thank you, Madam Mayor. The only thing I'm gonna add is um, the King Conservation District, we had a meeting today and they received a grant to explore putting their KCD elections on the general November ballot, which is good news. Uh, the Board of Supervisors is also exploring whether to create districts for the Conservation District. Thank you very much. Councilmember Black. I was sitting there thinking about creating districts for a Conservation District. But <laughs> um, well, uh, we're all being so disciplined tonight, I really. Um, so, um, I was joined by some of my fellow council members at the Eastside Juneteenth um, celebration, and that was wonderful to see that in Kirkland, and we serve lemonade. I enjoyed that. I didn't get to hang out with all my council members because we did different shifts, but um, it was wonderful. Um, uh, council member Falcone and I got to throw out the first pitch at a Little League uh, City Championship, softball and baseball, and that was wonderful. Um, I did want to mention, uh, mainly because I want to thank staff, um, I was able to attend the AP Environmental Sciences class at the International and Community School. Uh, last week I was joined by uh, Director of Planning and Building, Adam Weinstein, uh, along with David Barnes in Adam's uh, 
department um, who uh, is sort of our lead on sustainability. We got to talk to some wonderful environmental sciences students, sophomores, extremely bright, always impressive, right, when we go and talk to um, our high school students. Uh, and they were address, you know, they presented on projects concerning water conservation and uh, commuting via bicycle, uh, things sort of uh, uh, associated with our sustainability master plan. It was neat to see. And I just, if the, uh, you know, also want to thank the students for their hard work too, and thank the staff. Um, coming up tomorrow, just to um, highlight for my colleagues, I'm traveling to Spokane for the AWC conference, the Association of Washington mm -hmm. Cities. And on Thursday morning, I'm going to be joining um, a panel called Housing for All, which um, is going to be, it's organized by the AWC and the Department of Commerce. Uh, there, uh, the Department of Commerce and a couple of folks like me uh, are going to be talking about middle housing, um, an issue that the city of Kirkland took up in 2020 and, and approved, as we all know here. Uh, but there was also House Bill 1110 from this session um, that addressed middle housing for all jurisdictions throughout the state. And so it's an opportunity for the cities, uh, the representatives from the various cities to ask questions of a couple of cities like Kirkland and Walla Walla that have already adopted middle housing. Walla Walla adopted middle housing in 2018, actually two years before we did. So uh, there's that. And then um, I have a question, I think, for city manager um, and, and, and also highlighting for my co colleagues uh, the the uh, Regional Crisis Response Agency is having its first meeting of the principals next uh, Wednesday. Um, I'm going to be representing the council on that, but what I would like, I would like to hear from my colleagues about, um, I don't know what the pr proper process is for me to hear from my colleagues on the issues that are going to be coming for the Racers Principal Assembly. Is there a process that we can follow to get hmm. maybe some of the, or is is it more <laughs> organic than that? And I don't know. I'm, I, that's why it's a question. Yeah, let me let me ponder. So my high I, level my high level goal is to make sure if there are issues that my fellow council members have opinions on, they can share those with me in some fashion before the racers assembly, principal assembly. Yeah, so we are meeting as the racer board this Thursday. I'll be talking to the racer executive director about the principal assembly on Thursday. So. When we have the agenda finalized, like I said, it's primarily informational. Okay. Um, so what we can do is make sure it goes out to, it's intended to go out to everybody. Everyone, you all get it. Um, <laughs> and so then that might be the place where you say, if you have feedback to provide it to. Yep. Council Member Black. We just okay. need to make sure that everyone only replies individually. So, and they may have to send it to me. So like, let me get back to you on that. But okay. Yes, yeah, so well, we make sure that there's a way that that, that could be done. Okay, thank you. And my colleagues all heard that, so thank you. Thank you. Council Member Nixon. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Well, I'm just astounded that it got to me. Nobody brought up the fact that many of us attended the Kirkland Chamber uh, business luncheon on Thursday, June 8th, and the city manager did, an, an, once again, an excellent job uh, presenting the state of the city. Uh, I think people are always astounded at the, the number of different things and the difficulty of the tasks that, that we and the city staff take on um, each year. Um, my calendar shows that we have the finality of the Kirkland Initiative this Thursday night. I think that's still correct. Um, and so I'm asking the question, is there any particular expectations of council members at that this time um, besides just being present? And are you serving dinner or do we have to eat before? We are serving dinner. <laughs> 
the expectation is it's going to be really big. They're bringing family. It's really blossomed. So is there a dress code? Um, no, but it's a graduation ceremony. So the expectation would be for the council to be part of the graduation ceremony and the presentation of the certifications. And it's going to be really fun. Excellent. Thank you. Um, just a couple other things. I look forward to see, seeing everyone on the, at the 4th of July parade. And of course, the parade's a little different this year because it's being run by the city as opposed to uh, a nonprofit. Is there anything different that council members need to know about what's going to happen at the parade, or will it just be kind of the way it's always worked in the previous years? It's going to be very similar. Okay. So we're going to be placed in the same position. We're setting the parade order. I can't remember when, but soon. Soon. Um, we actually just extended the entry till the 27th, I think. So. Um, once we get that closed, then we'll set the parade order. Um, I think for the most part, we've we've got the we're in the um, fire antique fire truck again, uh, and we'll take care of anybody else who's going to be in the parade by making sure that whatever you're going to be associated with is further back in the parade. Um, in terms of the Heritage Hall event, we will be having the veterans. Um, reception. Actually, that's my, my assignment this year is to work on the veterans' reception. So any if you can get down there half an hour beforehand to greet the veterans, that would be absolutely fabulous. And other than that, I think it should Thank be. Thank you. Well, I do have one last thing. No, oh, do you want to ask about the 4th of July? I wanted to make a flip comment about the fact that the mayor is supposed to be getting this off of her plate. Oh, yeah. And yet, when you present it, it's all about we and, we, and I know you're including yourself in that we every time. We're doing this, we're gonna have this out to you, we're gonna make this decision. The city has done an outstanding job. They had a meeting tonight. They, awesome. They, they had the staging discussion. All right. Well, actually, the only reason I made that flip comment is so that you could make that generous thank you to the staff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last thing. Um, earlier in the meeting, uh, Councilmember Pascal was asking about uh, whether we routinely look at the Safer Route to Schools Action Plan and other similar plans when looking at master planning for schools. And um, my question for the city manager is, is there a checklist of things that we always look at when we're considering applications from schools? And what would it take for us to make sure that reviewing these projects in the various plans gets considered as part of that, like what we did tonight. Yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to look at that. I, I, but I think it's a great idea. I'd love it for for it to be an automatic thing, like yep. Councilmember Pascal was suggesting. Yeah, there's there's complications because they do their SEPA and so forth. But but yes, it certainly makes sense to do it, and we should do it. So I'll right. just have to figure Especially out. Especially exactly something with the with the safe walks, to, the amount of work we've put into safe routes to school. Yeah. And to alternate. Yeah. And so if ways, it's I guess I would also like to make that point is that that's not the only way these projects happen, in fact. And, and but it's a good way for them to happen because they're school funded. But we certainly you as the council haven't waited for the school district to do things. You're about to send twenty five billion dollars worth of projects to happen, whether or not there's a master plan. So I just want to make sure you and community understands, right? There's a lot happening as well. But I think coordinating that makes a total ton of sense. That's something that we need to figure out how to do. Could, yeah, I thought it was interesting, uh, and I'm grateful that Councilmember Pascal raised this because, uh, 
the amendment tonight because it was, this is one of the, the lower priority projects and may not have ever gotten funded through the various mechanisms we're looking at with the city. So good catch, John, thank you. Yeah, well, thank, thank you for raising that. Um, if I may, it's, a, it's kind of a bigger thing than just the school stuff. I mean, it's, it's really making sure our transportation review policies are aligned with, or regulations are aligned with our policies around transportation. And I think as when you review some of the materials that get submitted as part of, and this could be for any development project, it's not any sizable development project. Um, it's really about um, making sure we're looking at the things that we're focused on as a city, the pedestrian, bicycle, connectivity, improvements, safety, um, transportation demand management, transit, all those things kind of go into play. And are they getting the same level of scrutiny that a vehicle traffic does? So that's, that's what, that, that's kind of the bigger picture stuff. Okay, thank you. Move right ahead. Sorry. Um, Park Lane, are we, what's our next step on that? I know we talked about doing a town hall. Are we going to announce that soon? We are. We met uh, this morning to plan the agenda. The event, the town hall event, is going to be on July 10th, and we'll get, we'll be disseminating information about that shortly. We're just kind of finishing the protocol for the night with the consultant and staff, and we should have that done, I think, this week. Okay, and the only thing I have to report, in addition to what everybody else has already talked about, is we did have a legislative um, retreat mm -hmm. with our lobbyists and Diana and, and us to sort of review our process for this year. Um, Diana will be meeting one-on-one. -on -one with, well, actually, Kelly, you can meet. Go ahead. Yeah, I forgot. Di <laughs> Diana will be meeting one-on-one to begin to craft our legislative agenda upcoming. Um, and uh, all in all, we think it was a pretty fabulous year in terms of what we were able to accomplish and, and, and how the Bryans worked so well with us in this first year. Um, the other thing that I wanted to report on is, and I can't believe you didn't say this, you, your kid took over the, the, the blowers. Um, the Public Works um, cookout um, to honor Public Works staff. I think there were four of us there, uh, and it was it was a fabulous event. It's it's I think this is the third one we've done, and they're, they're just getting it is such a testimony to the work that Julie is doing uh, with that department, and I I just can't say enough about how good that felt and how much fun it was to to have such an intimate affair where there was so much positive reinforcement. Hey, Julie. It was, it was amazing. And I love public works the very best, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that. And uh, just one more thank you to staff for the amazing work that you did with Juneteenth. Um, Don and, and um, Erica were there all day long. I know you were there in the morning, Jim. Um, but it was it was a fabulous event and something that we need to hold on to because it, it it's perfect it's a perfect venue for this event and it is growing. Um, there were more black faces than have ever been 
at this event. So it made me very, very proud. And with that, City Manager, I'll turn it back to you. Okay, thank you. So two quick items, because we do have a short executive session uh, for potential property acquisition. Um, so first, we talked about the study session, the idea of council authorizing the mayor to sign a letter to WashDOT, um, asking them to accelerate the letter of intent to the purchase and sale agreement. So I guess if there's no objection, staff could draft that if you're willing to let the mayor sign that once we get it done uh, to go to the governor's office. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, the Association of Washington City's delegate de designation. So uh, originally none of you were going to be there to vote. Apparently that was true of many cities, and so the AWC is allowed now remote voting. The time that they're going to be doing it is close to the time that you're all going to be at the Kirkland Initiative. So the city does not have to have people vote, but if anyone is interested in voting remotely, <clears throat> you do need to designate yourself tonight. So. Uh, we just want to give the council an opportunity if anyone wants to be a voting member. Uh, staff, Diana has looked at the agenda and the bylaws, and we don't see anything that we particularly need to be for or against. So we don't feel like our presence is necessary. But if anyone is interested in that opportunity, um, you just need a motion de designating you as a delegate. Um, yeah, but do you want to spend the time to figure out what the initiatives are? And Do we feel like we need somebody there? Can staff? Um. Can Diana just sort of tune in and? Yeah. We can also make, you can also make Diana a delegate as well. We have, th we are allowed three. The city of Kirkland is allowed three. We just make Diana a remote de delegate. So I just need a motion putting Diana Hart, government relations manager as the voting delegate. So moved. Moved by Councilmember Halcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. 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 And carries. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and then are there other calendar updates before we go to the executive session? Seeing none, okay. I believe that we will now go to executive session to discuss the potential acquisition of real property. We will expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Uh, Whatever. 1051. 1051. Thank you. You know, I just can't think.